this week's episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast covers the milestone seasons of Aaron Judge and Albert Pujols, Alex and Travis's all MLB team, and our awards for this 2022 regular season. And who do you have winning this wildcard weekend? We'll share with you our picks coming up now. Hello, listeners. My name is Alex Jonitz, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd, and he was a total stud on his D3 college team. And this is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 77. Alex and I are coming to you live. It is Wednesday, October 5th. AJ, regular season just ended today. It's we are over. on to the postseason. Um, honestly, an exciting regular season, an exciting 2022. A season just filled with crazy milestones, Alex, that we thought weren't possible two to three months ago when you were looking at some of these um predictions and how these guys were going to finish the season off right um of course we'll hit on that big news that happened this past week the last two weeks uh but of course we'll touch on the playoffs me and alex are going to touch of course on the playoffs give you our kind of predictions what we see for the wild card weekend starting this friday october 7th um of course the big games coming out of the al we have the tampa bay rays the six seed going to cleveland to play the guardians and then the last team last two teams in the american league are the seattle mariners making their trip up north of the border toronto blue jays the four seed they'll be hosting the three games at the uh the roger center and so those are the two teams coming out of the al and then the nl we have of course the six seed phillies going to the three seed st louis cardinals and then the last series we will see is the five seed padres going up against Possibly the hungriest team out of this wildcard weekend, the four seed Mets, Alex. We'll cover that as uh, we had a pretty crazy NL East weekend and last week of the season. Some big games going on in that. But that kind of covers kind of our preview, of course, for the playoffs. We'll take a deep dive later on at the end of the end of the episode. Alex and I are going to touch on, of course, our all MLB team. We found it fitting to do it right now. We did not want MLB postseason bias coming in. They always do this every year. They'll release their rankings and their teams in November. A lot of people will look at the World Series winner and say, these guys are definitely the best players at their position. Right. No, 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 no. Not true at all. We're going to rank them right now, 162. That's what matters with all MLB teams. We're actually really high on this, Alex. We'd say to ourselves, if MLB can look at this every single season, this could really help determine Hall of Fame voting 15, 20 years down the road. You could look at a guy and say, he might have won no MVPs, but look, he was first team at his position nine times in his career. So he was over over half his career. He was a first time, you know, first time a uh, ALMV or all MLB, uh, you know, first team person. So right. it, it, it's for us to actually take it really, really seriously. But um, after that, we're going to cover, of course, our award picks. We're going to go over who we think should win each award MVPs, Cy Young's rookie of the years, manager of the years, me and Alex will settle the debate. We're going to go over our MVPs and our Cy Young's. And of course, see who we have winning those awards. Uh, I'll say this, Alex, it could be 
one of the most intense MVP discussions that we've had, not just you and me, but with reporters, with media, with Twitter. I mean, it is going berserk all yes. over the place. Last year was kind of funny how it was really a discussion and people thought it was a discussion. This year is just way more of a discussion, and there's a big reason why there's two juggernauts in it. But we'll cover that right now uh, in a little bit. Alex, let's jump into the breaking news. Of course, this week, the biggest news of all, Aaron Judge was able to capture number 62, 62 home runs on the season in Texas, in Arlington against the Rangers. First inning, was able to get it off with a bang. I think it was game two of the doubleheader last night, October 4th. Um, And Alex... People are saying it was a little bit of a meatball. I get that. It was kind of a meatball down the pipe. But you know what? It still takes a good hitter to hit meatballs and mistakes out of the ballpark. What are your thoughts, of course, on Aaron Judge getting it done? Yeah, I'll say one of his biggest strengths of the whole season has been hitting meatballs, just crushing them, hitting them deep. Um, There's been a lot of things that have kind of surprised me so far about Judge this season. Um, Looking at some of the data, some of the numbers, uh, I think first and foremost— it's an absolutely impressive achievement. It's an incredible um, feat to do what he did this season, not only with the home runs, but the overall raw production. Um, little audio uh, glitch there. Uh, Aaron Judge is just popping all over my baseball reference page right now. I don't know what, what's going on right Yeah, it might have been an ad too. But uh, yeah, Aaron Judge, I think just as impressive as the home runs for me is the other production numbers he has going for him was a threat for the triple crown. But, um, to me, um, I would take leading baseball in on base and slugging over a triple crown. And and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the kind of season he had. Um, so, and I'll note off that if he won the triple crown, it would have been, in my opinion, home runs, RBIs, very good batting average, probably a low when you look at all triple crown winners of the past. I mean, triple crown winners of the past are batting 350, 360. He would have been batting like 315. I mean, that, of course, to me, in most most years is going to be fifth, sixth place in American League batting average. But please continue. Yeah, that's a good note because batting average has been on the decline the last decade or so. Um, it feels like every year the numbers might go down a bit. And then, of course, this year it took another drop with the more deadened ball that people have been sort of noticing. So definitely a low batting average this year across the league. Uh, Also, Travis, I think it was a league low on base, like the on base percentage of all baseball players in MLB combined this year. It was like 306 or something like that. I forget, like 312 in that range. And that is... um, the lowest those the on base percentage has been for the whole uh, all of baseball since 1968, which was the year wow. of the pitcher, and they had to like change rules to make offense better after the year of the pitcher in Bob 68. Year, yep. They had to uh, lower the mound because there was too much of an advantage for pitchers, and they also I think uh, they also shrunk the strike zone. So like the last time we saw offense this down in terms of at least on-base percentage and possibly average. Um, the last time this happened was when they actually had to change the rules to balance things out. So it just kind of, that almost makes judges' accomplishments that much more impressive because of how much um, at a disadvantage he was in terms of 
if this happened, Travis, in like 2019, which I feel like was one of the years of the hitter mm-hmm. of our lifetimes, mm-hmm. um, ignoring the steroid era stuff, like 2019 was a year of crazy home run baseball, not in terms of like the peak hitters necessarily, but in terms of whole teams, everyone was putting up big home run numbers. I think the Minnesota um, Twins sent the record that year, correct? Uh, yes, yes, they have the record for the most home runs in a season by a team. And I think multiple teams uh I think them and the Yankees, maybe someone else too, all eclipsed the 300 home runs as a team number, which has only been done a handful of times. So um, it was definitely, you know, it's so crazy. 2019 to 2022, so fast. We went from a very hitter-friendly era to a very pitcher-friendly era. So Judge doing it in this year of all years of his career, definitely very impressive. Um, And the last thing I'll note on it, you know, um, you mentioned like it was kind of a meatball or whatever. And... Um, it's definitely a big skill for a hitter to be able to punish bad pitches. Um, I've seen tons of like charts this year, and I'm not sure why it is, but I feel like uh, it, I saw some chart and it was like Judge was like top three in baseball for pitches that were middle middle, and middle middle mm-hmm. is defined as the obviously the center of the strike zone. Um, you know, Statcast has their own diagrams for it, but it's not something that there was some confusion on. Like, it does not have to do with Judge being big. It's not like a bigger strike zone equals bigger middle middle. It's the same for everybody. And Judge just saw a lot of pitches middle middle, and so he did a phenomenal job of crushing the mistake pitches, which is a big um, skill set a hitter needs to have. But it's just kind of interesting to me that towards the end of the season, Travis, he started getting walked a lot, and it created this whole narrative about like are these guys, these pitchers afraid to challenge judge? And in my mind, it has nothing to do with like, Oh, I don't want to be the guy. I think every pitcher is a competitor, right? They want to challenge him in theory, but they just know that we're trying to win a game here. And judge is the hottest hitter and the most impressive hitter of the season. Uh, if they feel like the support behind him, the protection is, is going to be an easier target. Then they're just going to go for that instead. So, um, I think I'm more okay with the way he was approached uh, in the last couple of weeks of the season. A lot of he saw a lot of walks. Great for his on base percentage, oh, but yeah. um, it was almost like Shohei Otani 2021, where he was just getting walked exactly. every single time, almost the last month. We saw Shohei break a record for I think most walks in like a three game span, an MLB record hit of history, which is just nuts to, to even imagine. But um, we've seen it forever because Trout and Otani have historically had poor protection, so just put him on first base um not 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 intentionally but just completely pitching around him much like people were doing to judge and then just attack the guys behind but the thing about judge travis like he saw a lot of full counts and he has an amazing eye obviously great discipline um was not chasing and he would take his walks when they gave it to him but um i just wanted to give that side note because there was so much drama i feel like about yankees media was like you know challenge the guy and 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 (laughs) thankfully like in a way um as someone we'll get to the mvp top conversation later but um as someone who's a big otani fan i want i i knew that if judge got 62 it would be that much more for the mvp yeah. conversation mm-hmm. so um in a way i was like you know if he doesn't get there it'd be so crazy but at the same time um it's almost a relief that he did get there because if he didn't i just think the media would have been like it's not fair teams didn't pitch to him and you know a whole a whole kind of conversation uh discourse about that so i'm glad we're not down that rabbit hole yeah he got to 62 
he ended up at 62. Um, kind of a clean fitting way how it's Ruth was 60, Maris was 61, now Judge is 62. Of course, Travis gonna throw out the disclaimer: there are guys ahead of 62, there are guys above it. But no, you're right. You're you're joking, right? I just wanted to make sure that the world was aware because people kind of act like it's never been done before. Um, these numbers have been done before. The, They've um, exceeded these by quite a lot, Alex. Yeah, I, I think Dusty Baker had a quote saying, hats off to Judge on an amazing season, but he was with Bonds when Bonds did it. And he said, those balls, he said, he said you can put an asterisk on it, but the pitchers weren't pitching with an asterisk. The ball that went over the fence didn't have an asterisk on it. It was a regular pitch in an MLB game, and, and he was crushing him. So anyways. Um, and I think McGuire hit 62 in like the first weekend of, September or something like that back in 1998. And then of course, Sosa followed right after it. Um, it's an interesting discussion because it's been the highlight ever since judge hit 62. It's been the highlight. Um, it's funny, you know, Roger Maris, Jr. Roger Maris, son, highly active on Twitter. I feel like I have not heard from this guy in 20 something years. And then he just kind of makes the appearance back again. And then he just starts tweeting all over the place. And so, uh, it, it's it's funny, interesting, and then of course it just brings a discussion where people can of course you know voice their opinions. Does uh, does Sosa, McGuire, Bonds, do all these guys kind of have a have an asterisk? Is this the real home run king? Um, personally, my opinion, of course, no. Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, they did it. Their penalty, of course, is not in the Hall of Fame, but they still hold these records. So um, I, I kind of view it as that way. Yeah, and I think uh, someone, I think it was Jeff Passing, I forget who it was, but I saw someone make a good point on Twitter, like. There's so much tainted in MLB history. Um, one example was there are guys who have all these crazy records and MVPs when there was segregation. Mm -hmm. Like there was a whole half the history of MLB history is all these players, you know, Babe Ruth has all these home run titles. You know, maybe if Josh Gibson was in the league and if he was allowed to play, maybe he could have rivaled them in some of those stats. So of course, it, yeah. it, there's just lots of sort of, you know, things that you could put an asterisk on it if you wanted to. But in the reality, we're just going to kind of call things what happened. And what did happen this season, Travis, was, of course, an amazing season by Aaron Judge. 62 home runs. It's now an American League record. Uh, belonging to him and I'm sure we'll touch on him more when it comes to the MVP conversation we're going to have later in the episode but what's next on the breaking news kind of you know so yeah for the news of the week I mean of course we can touch on the next milestone and that's going to be Albert Pujols you know of course today he played his I don't know if actually he played his last game I don't know if he started I know probably um, they're looking to rest some guys get ready for Friday because they of course do not get a buy so I'm, I'm pretty certain they are resting some guys this week but Pujols of course this week he hit Home run number seven zero three. So of course, inching closer, Babe Ruth, but will fall short. <laughs> He'll finish fourth all time on the home run record uh, at, at seven zero three. But of course, one milestone he did break. He did pass Babe Ruth with two thousand two hundred and sixteen RBIs. Did of course finish with a couple more. So he will officially finish his career with 2,218 RBIs. That is second to, I believe, it's course. Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron still holds the all-time RBI count. I think it's close to like 2,400, Alex. So Pujols would have to almost put up two more seasons of almost 100 RBIs to eclipse Hank Aaron. And then, of course, he'd have to put up, what, 52 home runs to pass Hank Aaron as well in home runs. So Hank Aaron, of course, a, a just a 
icon in the game, a legend of the game, someone who has some of these insane, insane counting stats. One thing too, Pujols is of course one of the only to have seven, him and Hank Aaron, the only two to have 700 home runs, 2,000 or more RBIs, 3,000 or more hits. So two of course, or three stats that only uh, two guys in baseball uh, history have, have, you know, accomplished those stat lines. So of course, really impressive with that, but kind of give me, Alex, give me a run through of, I know we talked about last week and with Pujols, but I mean, talk to me about how about this finish? I mean, we right. have seen a second half of our pools that I don't think we've seen second half numbers like this since 2009, 2008. So kind of give me a breakdown of what you, what you make of all these milestones for him. Yeah, it's definitely unexpected. I think if you said that you saw this coming, I would call you a liar. Um, I think that it's been obviously super, um, you know, it, it's completely uh, indescribable how um, he's kind of come on late. Uh, the second half numbers, the numbers post home run derby, it's just like he's up there with Trout and Judge for home runs, um, home run leaders in that in that span of, of time. But uh, he finished very strong, like you said. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a home run in his last at bat, um, which I think I don't think he played today. I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. They they pulled him and uh yadi and Wainwright from the game at the same time for wainwright's last start and then uh for albert's last at bat at bush stadium oh i'm, I'm thinking of bush stadium his last at bat at bush stadium oh, yes, was yeah. a home run and his first at bat at bush stadium was a home run so a really cool kind of he went cover to cover of his career with the home run ball um and then travis like you said some of the best numbers he's posted in his career looking back to when he was a prime St. Louis Cardinal in the second half of the 2000s decade. But overall, no way to dispute the fact that he has put up um, a a phenomenal uh, go-away second half. Like, Big Poppy had an amazing year, his final season. Um, It was super memorable. And then you can look back at some of the other greats. Like Ted Williams could still put up numbers. Uh, He had crazy on base percentages last year still. Bonds' last season, I think he still got on base like 500, almost like something crazy. Yeah, 27 home runs, still I think an uh, an OPS above 900 or something like that. But Albert is up there, Travis. In in the dead and ball era, I think he had like an 890 OPS around there. Definitely something. Yep. Obviously, the platoon role is going to help that in the, in the limited appearances, not playing defense. Um, all things I've pointed out before, but um, the offense that he has put up, um, it's it's indisputable um, that he you know is 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 an all time great. Um, it's cool to see him kind of put a cherry on top of the career. Um, much better to go out this way than the way it was looking to trend um, in the late like twenty teens. Yep. So. Um, you know, very impressed, very surprised. Um, and let's see if he can get up even more special farewell um, by having some sort of big moment in the postseason, because that is what I think a lot of Cardinal fans really remember him for when yep. he was a Cardinal the first time around. Um, if he can do something again in a pinch hit role, it could make the stadium go crazy. So, yeah, I'm um, looking forward to that. We haven't seen him in a Cardinals uniform in the postseason since 2011. And of course, they won the World Series in 2011, Alex. I remember that World Series really, really well. I, I mean, I know David Freeze went off. I know Pujols had a three home run game in the World Series at Texas. And I believe his last or so at bat might have been a double. I remember he hit a double and then basically that kind of extended the, you know, I'm sorry, that was in game six. So, of course, it was not his last at bat. But um, it's kind of started this mini rally that ended up being that 
famous game six, David Freeze, a hero. But uh, just a point on the numbers this season, Alex, a 154 OPS plus. And of course, to our listeners, OPS plus kind of just compares other OPSs around the league and kind of just says to, you know, the average viewer, the average statistician, okay, this guy is basically this much better than the average person. And of course, being a dead ball era, this year is actually really important to look at OPS plus. I mean, we'll get, we'll dive into the numbers when we start looking at our all MLB team, all MLB team. But you know, you look at some of these guys that you might think have a bad year with the OPS numbers. Maybe they haven't reached 1000. Like we know some guys should and do during their career, but their OPS plus is right around their, their average, you know, one guy will point out later on, but that's Mike Trout. Um, We'll get into his numbers, but he had an OPS plus year pretty, pretty, you know, pretty much the same as his career has been, you know, nothing too shocking, but the OPS numbers he had has had better seasons in the past, but of course the ball different, this, the, the offense as a league down as a whole, but what's crazy is our pools this year. I know it's only 109 games played, but a 154 OPS plus, um, I mean, when you're north of 150, that's some pretty special territory. You're getting into some pretty, pretty legendary hitting for that season. Alex, he has not had a 150 OPS plus or higher seasons since 2010. In 2010, he was second in MVP that season. So, I mean, again, just a kudos, just a crazy rebound to what he's been able to do. I'll speak for myself. I called him out one year ago. I said, Pujols, I mean, no who's, who's going to pick you up in 2022? If anyone does, it'll be the Cardinals. You'll only face lefties. You might make it 70 games. You'll give it a good hurrah. You know, you'll probably, I mean, you probably won't even pass A-Rod for home run total. So you, of course, finish fifth all time. But, you know, you've had a good career. It's time to hang it up. I mean, what a turnaround and what a stock climb that he has presented himself with this season. So, I mean, again, kudos to him. I'm really proud of what he's been able to do. Uh, kind of getting back almost to that old St. Louis form that he did back in the 2000s, early 2000s, and then 2011 leaving and going to the Angels. So um, I love you. I kind of also hate you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just an incredible turnaround, an incredible rebound that you've presented yourself. And of course, I know, you know, Angels, you know, didn't, of course, make some smart moves in, in, in that whole deal and everything like that. But of course, uh, you know, it was at least cool to have you part of the Angels history. When you go into Cooperstown one day, you'll, of course, have that 2012 to uh, 2021 Angels on your plaque, which, of course, is really cool as one of the best all-around pure hitters in MLB history. But anyways, that kind of covers the milestones, Alex. We covered Judge and Pujols. Um, now covering, of course, some, uh, I guess, some some sad news. Uh, Tony La Russa calling it an end to his career. Um, we... We thought, of course, months ago, Alex, that this was, of course, going to be his last season as a member of the Chicago White Sox. So that's no surprise that he, of course, will not be managing next year. Um, I guess, of course, not really surprised that he's going to call it a quits because I really didn't think any team would pick him up. Guy's getting up there with age. I think, of course, he's kind of falling apart with that, um, that maybe that old regime or old thinking of baseball. Most of those guys are kind of, you know, fading away and retiring and, you know, hanging it up. Dusty Baker is one guy that of course is still pushing, still having a great career managing, but um, he's kind of in that old school thought of, uh, of major league baseball, where of course you're seeing new hires a lot younger, a lot more uh, chemistry with them with the major league club. But uh, Tony Larusa hangs it up, Alex. I don't know what he finished all time for wins. I think it was close to either 2000 or 3000 wins. He finished. I mean, it might've been like 29 something that he finished with all time wins, but 
ended up, uh, you know, of course, capturing three World Series, two with the Cardinals, one with the Oakland A's, that famous Oakland A's team that, you know, went to the World Series in 88 and 89, Eckersley, Canseco, McGuire, and then, of course, went to the Cardinals for the late 90s and, of course, that early 2000s to 2011. And it's funny, he retired after 2011 when they won the World Series and Pujols left St. Louis and then, of course, came back to managing, I believe it was, what, 2021, I think it was last year, was his first year? I know 2020 yes. they had, I think yes. it was Robin Ventura or something yes. like that. But um, definitely, of course, a historic career, Tony La Russa managing. Um, he's got some stats that, you know, we'll, we'll wonder if those are ever going to be beaten again. So, uh, you know, he, he he's an all-timer. He's had a long, long time in the baseball business. But, you know, it's time. And I think most people can agree, you know, it, it, it was definitely a good send-off. I, I mean, not a good send-off for the way that he finished the season, but it, it's a good time to, you know, of course – retire start looking for you know start looking for some maybe some angels post-game uh broadcast job interviews we have know. enough former coaches who <laughs> want to be our post-game broadcast but um yeah travis obviously a legend uh you know someone that is going to be a part of you know many different phases of mlb history you can't talk about the late 80s early 90s uh Oakland A's without talking about La Russa. You can't talk about those Cardinals teams without him. So um, definitely a legend of the game. I will also add, you know, I don't want to, you know, go too hard on him right now. I think I've been very, very, <laughs> I've been very critical of him all season. Yes. Yep. I believe there is some sort of health reason or concern, so I'm not going to pile on. But I'll just say that um, I think the team will benefit from a fresh voice next season. I think that... Um, uh, I, I think we questioned the fit when he was hired, right, Travis? Mm -hmm. With that kind of young team, a lot of swagger, a lot of kind of let the kids play. A lot of play. momentum, yeah. A lot of, a lot of let the kids play energy. Uh, the team was being aggressive. They went and got Lance Lynn. They went and signed Liam Hendricks. They were uh, called up Luis Robert. You know, they were, had you know things going their way. And we kind of thought that they might benefit from, benefit from a younger coach, um, more forward-thinking coach. But either way, Travis... Um, it is definitely something, you know, worth highlighting just because of how much of baseball history he is involved in. So, um, definitely very memorable. Uh, and I think, like I said, the White Sox are going to be poised to try to get some revenge next season because this season did not go as planned. I forget who it was. I think it was Liam Hendricks had a quote just mm -hmm. recently and he was saying that he felt the team lacked, uh, like, like there wasn't like a, a voice that was kind of hmm. um, being like disciplinary and like holding people accountable. Um, you just felt like there was, um, I don't know, I, I can't remember the exact words, but he just kind of thinks that um, they could use a stronger, a stronger voice, a stronger presence uh, mm -hmm. going forward. So I think they might get that in a, in a new offseason hire. I'm interested to see who they're going to try to seek out because some other teams also will be probably looking at some coaching searches as well. So. I'm interested to see how that goes, but uh, hats off to, uh, you know, I mean, someone who's been a part of baseball for a really long time and Tony La Russa. And it's actually a good, I mean, going towards the organization and looking at the White Sox, I mean, I, I mean, for managing hires this offseason, it's going to be a very attractive place to go because you have a team we all know is extremely talented. They just didn't perform this season. This right now, uh, the final rankings, the final standings, they finished second in the American League Central. 81 and 81 so still finished 500 and that was just way below the expectations and the performance standards that they were supposed to have i think they were what alex i mean they were either first or second in vegas when we went 
earlier this season for uh, odds to win the division. They were insane favorites. I remember I told you, Alex, I said the White Sox are a team I could literally put 10 grand on right now, and it's going to be an easy win for me. I mean, thank God I did it, right? <laughs> that would have been very, that would have been a disaster, yes. But, you know, it's one of those teams that, uh, was so high and it was, you know, Vegas, of course, thought was, of course, was just going to be an easy slam dunk. They're going to win the AL Central. Houston, I think, was either first or second in that as well. Houston, of course, um, you know, as usual, took care of business. 106 wins. Nothing special, of course, for the Astros. They're just on one of the craziest, uh, I'd say, like team franchise primes of all time. But anyways, we'll cover that in a little bit. But it's just kind of crazy that. Uh, you know, the way the White Sox performed, I was on them all season. I just was so down that they could never just kick it into gear. They were always flirting with 500 all season, it just seemed, but they just could never fix it, get on a good winning streak and take control of that division. So they, of course, lost the division by 11 games to the Guardians. Uh, hats off, of course, to the Guardians. They have a just good team chemistry. They have a, you know, just a mentality of, you know, if not us, then who? And, you know, they, they have, they're so young, so um, so much good chemistry in that organization. I mean, like like we mentioned last week, I think Jose Ramirez is making the most money, and he's making, what, like 25 mil, and the payroll is like 40 mil? He's making the most money, I think, in their history. Yeah, something yeah, like that. yeah, history as well. So, uh, you know, White Sox, of course, uh, they'll have a lot of questions to answer this offseason, and getting a manager will be the first one and seeing how they can improve and get back to a division title in 2023. But that's the news right there. The last thing we'll cover before we get into our all MLB teams, Alex, is kind of going over the NL East. We had a huge series this past weekend that we kind of warned uh, or informed our viewers last week, the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets, they played this past weekend, uh, the first weekend series in October. Uh, and it was a three-game series in Atlanta. Atlanta swept. They took it to them. And, I mean, it really showed how powerful they are. They are a great team when it comes to the offense. They're a great team when it comes to the starting pitching. And they're a great team when it comes to the bullpen. Alex, we can get more into the bullpen later on. But, I mean... What a crazy turnout sweeping the New York Mets. The New York Mets went into last Friday, one game lead. They lose all three, get swept. Braves look good. And then I think it was yesterday or it was Monday that they uh, either, they might either. Tuesday. It was Tuesday. The, Bra okay. the Braves won by one against the Marlins, which clinched it. Yeah. Okay, that's right. So they won and they took home the NL East. So, of course, that means, of course, they are going to get a first round bye. They get the number two seed behind the Dodgers, who, of course, just kind of stormed away with the entire uh, league and I would say the entire MLB all season. So uh, kudos to Atlanta. They get some rest. They'll be playing. I believe it's going to be on Tuesday, Tuesday, October 11th. I think it might be, but uh they will be, of course, hosting the first two games, and they will be playing the three or the six seed. We're going to get more into that, of course, later on in the episode, but they're going to be playing the Cardinals or the Philadelphia Phillies. But, I mean, what did you make of that series? What did you make of the last week? What did you see? Do you see something like the Mets falling apart, or do you see the Mets kind of, of course, staying hungry? Do you see the Braves just being this juggernaut that could easily, in two weeks, we could be saying this team is going to be uh, in the World Series what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so my overall take is usually I don't like to jump the gun. I don't want to say that the Braves, like, they just own the Mets now, you know, because I think the Mets swept them back in, like, June or something. And obviously teams change. Guys get healthy. Guys get hurt. Uh, rookies get called up. Other guys lose their spot in the team. Yep. So 
Uh, things change. Uh, things may have changed in terms of, you know, these teams over the last few months. But what I will say, Travis, there has been talk of Mets choking the division away. Mm-hmm. They had a 10 and a half game lead at some point in June. Slowly but surely, the Braves chipped that down. They had one analyst say, this division's over, pack it up, Mets won it. And that guy right now, of course, is being just, I mean, blasted all over I think social he's em- media. I think he's embarrassed, yeah. Oh, but, hell yeah. yeah. But, but what I will say, Travis, they did not choke the division away. They played good baseball yep. down the stretch. They obviously lost some games that they maybe they think they should have won. I'm sure they probably won some games they should have lost. There was that game against the Phillies, Travis, back in like May or June, where they had like a seven-run last inning, ninth inning, and they ended up winning the game. Yeah. So you know, teams are going to win games and lose games that might help make you affect the way you create a narrative about them. But what I will say, I don't believe the Mets choked anything away. The Braves simply played incredibly hot baseball in the second half. I think since the ten and a half game lead. Um, the Braves from that point on played like at a pace as if you, if you took their record in that stretch of yeah. time over 162, it was like 114 a game or win pace. Wow. So like they were just pretty much playing like LA Dodgers, an absolute, an absolute <laughs> top team in MLB yep. the whole, you know, little more, little more than the second half, probably second, like two thirds of the season. The Mets, Travis still are a hundred win team. That's not a choke. It's almost like the Dodgers last year with 105, 106 wins they had and had to play in the wild card. At least the Mets have the luxury this year of they get to host a playoff series, even though it's a three game series. Mm -hmm. So I think the Mets, obviously they wish they had, uh, the, the second seed instead of the, the fourth seed in the playoffs out of six teams. But, they're gonna have to settle with it. They're gonna have to be okay and trust. You know, we have Degrom, we have Scherzer, and then probably they go Bassett uh, yeah. in a three-game series against the Padres. I don't really see how you could, uh, you know, that that that's that's as good as you're gonna get in yes. the MLB. Um, even though Scherzer and Degrom weren't weren't lights out in in Atlanta, they still were definitely solid just against a really good offense. That was kind of firing on all cylinders. Dansby was hot the whole series. Everybody was kind of getting theirs um, down in Atlanta. But yeah, Travis, I'll just say that I think that many Mets people might or people might be critical of the Mets. I don't think they choked anything away. Yes, they should, they would like to win one game in that series to kind of extend, um, you know, keep that magic number down for the Braves. But at the end of the day, I really think it comes down to the fact that uh, the Braves played really hot and they're going to be a big threat to, you know, win the National League. But I think the Mets are too. It really comes down to mm-hmm. who is hot at the right time. Um, the Braves are trending great because they had kind of had a, had a hot second half last year, which kind of propelled them into the uh the playoffs and this year might be the same story for them but if the Mets get hot at the right time they can easily win a series against uh the Braves even though Braves would have home home field advantage now so that's my take on it all yeah and that's actually a really good take Alex I didn't think about that I mean they did not choke it the Braves just played insanely good baseball I mean you tell me you tell any Mets fan hey you're gonna go 101 and 61 this year and you're gonna and they would all be saying Division title Book is going it. to be ours. Yeah. Book it. Yeah. We might have the number one seed. I mean, the Dodgers probably could even go 98 wins. We could probably get the number one seed with 101 wins. Um, I mean, it, it's just crazy how well the Braves played. It's just funny how back-to-back seasons, I mean, this team in the second half just knows how to play and knows how to turn things on. It's going to be very interesting, I'll say this, when we get into our you know our, our preview in a little bit in the episode. But um, 
it's funny that the Braves and the Mets, I mean, they literally started playing postseason baseball this past weekend. So it's going to be funny how that translates into, of course, this weekend when the Mets host the Padres. And then, of course, when the Braves will be hosting either the Cardinals or the uh, the Phillies when that happens next week. But it'll it'll be fun to really kind of see how these teams match up with those other teams. And if these teams that maybe play this wild card weekend can start a run and start getting really hot and, of course, translate that into uh into some deeper postseason runs but um, i'm excited and i I'm, I'm ready for the postseason i'm ready to kind of start seeing who is the top dog in some of these leagues and some of these uh divisions it's gonna be real fun but alex i think now is the time we kind of kick it off to our all mlb team cool um i know we've been antsy at this one alex i know we made our teams the past couple of days actually you know what some of these positions i will point out when we get into them but they they really took some deep thought. I feel like last year we had a really good idea of where we had, you know, our all, you know, I'll say all MLB teams. I mean, going back to last year, Alex, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., easy number one for first base, you know, right. Simeon, easy second baseman, all MLB. Uh, and then I think with uh, third base is a little bit tougher, but then you have, of course, your outfield was pretty easy last year. Uh, Harper was the MVP, um, you know, just kind of that kind of stuff. But it, it, it was some really... Uh, deep dive in the stat lines and looking at who should be, you know, credited for some of these spots. But let's, of course, start off with the catcher position. Alex, uh, of course, do you want to do the honors? I would love to. I'll start us off. The catcher position where we always start, I think um, there was a handful of guys I looked into a bit, yes. but I think I've had to I think I had no choice but to pick this guy, at least for my money. I went with JT Real Muto. Okay. Um, why don't you tell me who you got, and then we'll talk. We will agree. <laughs> okay. I think I think it's the obvious pick in my mind. Uh, leads all of baseball and Fangraphs for for catchers by a good amount. He's up at six point five. Really, really uh, solid year. Um, he ended up hitting two seventy five average, three forty one on base, four seventy eight slug. A really good slug for a catcher. Um, he ran the bases really well, Travis, 21 stolen bases. Uh, he also was, uh, kind of a workhorse behind the plate, 138 games played. I'm sure he kind of played around, um, not catcher every single game, but definitely for a uh, strong majority of them. Good defensive numbers as well. Some of the best defensive rating, um, on this catcher leaderboard outside of, outside of, uh, outside of Jose Trevino. It looks like he's got the best yep. fan defense number. So... Uh, just tons to like about Rio Muto's season. Um, would you like to add anything on that? I mean, I, I'll, one thing I'll mention is I know earlier on this year, I think it was 36 games, and I'm looking at his kind of his bat, batting game logs throughout the season. Um, game 36, that was his, kind of his lowest point of the season. He was batting 224, an on base of 293, and then a slugging of 321. So everything was just dramatically dipping. This is a guy that usually bats 275, 280. Usually, of course, has an OPS somewhere in the high 700s or, of course, in the low 800s. Uh, was at a 613. So, of course, the OPS plus numbers were not very good when it came to all that. People were wondering, does this guy really worth that a contract that I think it was, what, five years, $100 million, or was it a little bit more? It was, it was hefty. It was almost like a James McCann deal, and the, and the Phillies were tanking at that time. They were an awful team. Girardi was still the manager. Things did not look good for Philly. And then, of course, now he finishes with an 820 OPS, so almost increases the OPS a little bit north of 200 points after that moment, the batting average went all the way up to 276. That's honestly, that's a sweet spot for a catcher. I mean, if you are a catcher and you're batting north of almost 250, I feel like that's like 
a very good performer. And the on especially base this two, season, exactly. And the on base too, a three forty two on base. Not many catchers can capture all that, and a slugging almost of five hundred. So uh, J T Realmuto, and then you point out the WAR leads all catchers with WAR uh, dramatically. I think at the end of the first half almost the all-star break we were really high on alejandro kirk had a great season jt Ramuto though really captured the second half had a very good finish to the season 21 stolen bases 22 home runs he's a part of the 2020 club i don't know if he's ever had that feat or milestone before in his career but i mean kind of a fun little thing to look at for especially a catcher we don't see catchers stealing bags at all these days right and he really uh is a um is a is a pesk on the on the base pass as well as also at the plate so um pretty uh, pretty easy option i was looking at for most of these catchers of course a lot of other honorable mentions that had really good years but jt Ramuto had to be the all mlb catcher this year yeah so i yeah we we agree on everything it seems um there was one other guy that i was definitely leaning on yep. a little bit i considered him um i said not yet but I think it's his going forward. I'm talking about Adley, you are. I'm talking yep. about Adley Rushman. Mm-hmm. He actually was at a 5.3 Fangraphs war. He only played 112 games. Uh, he walks more than just about any catcher I see on this list, mm-hmm. which is something I definitely care about. He had a, walked in 13.9% of his of his plate appearances. That's more than Trout. That's that's a quite a big number. Yep. He doesn't strike out a ton either. He strikes out less than 20% of the time. He ended up hitting 256, which is um, not too bad considering this season's dead and ball. His on-base was up at 365, which is a great number. 449 on the slugging. Um, he runs the bases well, Adley, and he plays good offense, good defense, switch hitter. I think he is uh, the catcher of the future for MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think JT really said, you know, it's still mine for right now, but I don't yep. know how much longer he's going to hold on to that best catcher in baseball title. And that's a great person to kind of give a quick shout out for the honorable mention. I looked at him. Actually, he came to my attention earlier today, and I looked at his numbers, and I was like, you know, Alex could pick this guy, but JT has a really good season. But I mean, yes. it'll be a fun discussion. We talk about it next year when we give our all uh, our top 10 at each position looking forward for the future. Adley's looking like a superstar in the making right mm-hmm. now for the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, what he almost did with that club, almost leading him to a playoff team, would have been the craziest season for a team whose odds to make the playoffs were outrageous. Right. I mean, would have been the biggest Cinderella of our yeah, life, I feel yeah. like. And so Adley, kudos to you, a 5.2 baseball reference war in only 113 games played. I mean, if you're looking at a full 140, 150 games played as a catcher, I mean, you're already looking as at a seven war most likely. He's almost having that Wander Franco kind of season where Wander had what a 3.5 war in like 70 games last year. Right. Um so I mean again, the young youth players in the game, the young prospects coming in um just making a statement and actually one thing i'll shout out to back to the mets uh a little bit earlier but francisco alvarez number one prospect in baseball first career hit was an absolute shot out of city field for his first home run so pretty funny that he hit a home run and in uh in his first mlb hit so um kudos to him as well he's a guy that's on the rise of course for the catching position we'll actually see maybe in the postseason alex he can have a uh you know kind of a milestone or a, a breakout moment that we can see in the postseason that people will remember him forever and he'll have, uh, you know, be off to a really good start to his career. But we'll move on to, of course, um, what we'll do now is the right side of the infield, Alex, give our first and second base um, kind of all MLB picks. I'll go first. For me, Alex, 
First base, pretty simple, easy. It's Paul Goldschmidt for the St. Louis Cardinals. Had a career year, had a almost a, we'll get into the awards later, but of course he just had a special year at the first base spot as leading all of NL players with a bunch of percentage stats. So of course he is my first baseman. Second baseman, this was tough, Alex. There's two guys that of course were definitely standing out, but I went with a guy that I did not un- I, Really surprised me with what he was able to perform perform at the bat this year or in the box with the power. But Jose Altuve, I mean, I think he had what, like 20-something, 28 home runs this season. Looking at the stats on 28 home runs, batted 300. I honestly thought this guy's career was coming to kind of a halt. I mean, it, it really looked like the past couple seasons... The guy did not perform it at his high peak. 2020, he batted 219. I know he only played 48 games, but he batted 219 and he batted 346 a couple of seasons before that. And then he batted 278 last season. OPS numbers were still decent. This season, of course, bats 300, a 387 on base, a 533 slugging from a second baseman, and a 921 OPS. That's a 160 OPS plus from a second base spot. So kudos, of course, to him. He is going to be my all. MLB second baseman Paul Goldschmidt all MLB first baseman who do you got yeah we still agree Travis we're still uh batting a thousand uh Goldschmidt and Altuve are on my right side Goldschmidt you covered it well he is kind of the clear pick other guys had great seasons but not quite as good as Goldschmidt's Goldschmidt uh 317 average 404 on base 578 slug really complete season um, guys like Freeman had a little bit worse of a bat, but a bit better defensively. And then there's other guys who might also try to fight their way into that conversation too. Um, Alonzo had 40 home runs, uh, yep. more than Goldschmidt. So other guys try to make their case, but at the end of the day, um, I think it's all NL guys too. Freeman and Alonzo were the last two guys that of course were, you know, making somewhat of a push. I mean, the top five in, in Fangraphs war for first base is Goldschmidt, Freeman, Christian Walker, Jose Abreu, and Pete Alonso. So yes. four of yep. five are NL players. So a good point on that. Olsen also an NL guy who was seventh um, on that list. So definitely an NL kind of stacked. I, I feel like NL first base has always been something that's kind of really uh, something noteworthy, at least. I remember when we, were, when we were growing up, Travis, it was like Pujols, Ryan Howard, Adrian Gonzalez, so Pr- correct. Prince, yep. Prince Fielder. Like it was just such a stack position. Even yep. nowadays, Travis, even a couple years past, like Max Muncie has been a big name. Freeman, who of course changed teams still in the NL. Um, even Matt Olson moving from AL to NL. So um, definitely, so definitely yep. an NL uh, hotspot for sure. But I mean, there's not much to dispute. Goldschmidt has earned that spot rightfully so. And then looking at second base, Altuve, couldn't agree with you more. The power surge is uh, super noteworthy with him. Uh, A great slugging percentage for the year for him. Something that's uh, especially interesting that I think is not something that's on everybody's radar. I'm going to filter WRC+, which is similar to OPS+, just how good of a hitter are you compared to everybody else. Um, Altuve is only behind Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, Paul Goldschmidt, and Mike Trout. Besides those names that I just said, who are pretty much like the four best hitters of the season, yep. it's Altuve next. That's He's crazy. a second baseman for the Astros that we all know many people hate, but you may have not noticed how good he was from the power standpoint. And just as a complete hitter, a great walker this year too. 10% of his plate appearances are walks. That's a lot. That's actually about the same as Mike Trout. So 
Um, there's tons to like about what Altuve did this season. I think he really kind of figured out he can sell out the contact a bit. And at least maybe early in the count, he's really kind of pulling fly balls. He uses that Crawford box to his advantage. That home ballpark definitely helps him out in a big way. Hit the ball off the wall. It's a double. Hit the ball into that Crawford box. Yep. It could be a fly out in some ballparks, but for him, it's a home run. So he is using that strength to help him. Also, he's rated positively defensively, which is another plus. So, um, yeah, I think that Altuve definitely earned the spot. Um, like you said, there was a couple other names that definitely garnered respect, but I went ahead and put Altuve here. I mean, the on-base is at a really special level considering mm-hmm. how much pop he also brought. Um, 28 home runs, uh, leads all second baseman as far as I can see. So Yeah, and best OPS since 2017, um, and it was a down year. You know, that's pretty crazy to look right. at. I think it's the best OPS plus of his career, is it, it not? It is. It's right now, from baseball reference, it's tied with 2017. Okay. So 160 in 2017, 160 this season. So I don't, of course, baseball reference, I don't know if they've updated yet. So if he played today, maybe Things, he had a double. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, right now, it's capturing that he is basically having the same season as 2017. Of course, the MVP that season, Alex. So um, a special kind of... Um, just continuing the special career of Jose Altuve, uh, it, it's it's really and it's really cool to see that at least he kept the power numbers up this year. Um, one of the best power numbers, of course. Last year he still had another good power season with 31 home runs, but one of his best power seasons was 2019, which we knew the ball was uh, was jumping off the bats for everybody that year. But that covers our right side. So so far we're in agreement, um, Alex. I. I'm going to bet that the left side, we're going to be in disagreement. Um, it's probably a fair bet. It's, of course, good to have that discussion. But I'll let you go first. Give me your shortstop. Give me your third baseman, all MLB right now. I'll start with shortstop. This one had, like just like most of the positions, uh, a handful of names that deserve consideration. When it came down to it, though, I think I pretty solidly found myself liking the case best for Francisco Lindor on the Mets. Okay. He's my pick. Um, I'll get in the numbers after we kind of both uh, lay our guys out. Third base, Travis, another position. I think mainly two guys really stood out. Um, of course, some other guys in the conversation, mm-hmm. but two guys really put up. Just, just a, I'll and, say this, a highly packed position right now in the of game. Of course. Yeah. Of course, it's been one of the most stacked positions of recent years, and this year in particular, two guys um, put up MVP caliber seasons uh, at the position. I went ahead and picked Manny Machado. Um, I have a feeling I have a guess who you might have picked. So go ahead and tell me your shortstop and third base, and then we can get into it. So, yes, we are different off both positions, Alex. Lindor was just a highly considerable guy. Shortstop, I think I honestly picked this morning. I, I had to look too much into the stat lines. There's too so much many, research. There's so much shortstop. There's too many shortstops in the game right now that are, you know, of course, performing at a very good level. Even though, honestly, Alex, I would say it was kind of a down year from the shortstops. We didn't have Tatis. I think some of the guys did not perform maybe to their full strength ability. But one guy that caught my eye that honestly, I did not think he was having a good season until I looked at the numbers and I compared him with other shortstops. But for me, Carlos Correa is going to be my all shortstop for the MLB. Third base, the hot corner. I think you can know who it is. I know um, who Travis likes. It's going to be Mr. Nolan Arenado. Um, I'll dive, of course, into the numbers. But when you lead all of the NL in, uh, for me, for baseball reference war, um, that warrants a good uh, a good outcome on my list. So 
Uh, that's going to be my third baseman. So Correa, Arenado, that's my left side. But let's dive into shortstop first. Cool. Uh, tell me why you had Lindor. So, yeah, I definitely had to consider a handful of guys. Honestly, uh, Correa had a great year. Um, I was really looking at both Dansby and Trey Turner. Dansby, second half, not quite as good as the first half. Yes. The offense fell off a bit, even though he did get hot uh, just this last weekend against the Mets elite pitching. Um, Trey Turner also, very similar offensive production uh, to Francisco Lindor. They tied at 127 WRC+. Um, and then the speed will favor Trey Turner and the stolen bases, but the defense definitely is favoring Lindor. Great defensive numbers from him uh, overall. Lindor did lead baseball in, sorry, did lead shortstops in Fangraph's war at 6.8, just barely above Dansby and Trey Turner. Um, Correa a bit lower on that list, probably because he does have over a hundred fewer plate appearances than Lindor. Um, part of that is he missed some games. Part of that is because I think the Mets hit around a bit more often. But yeah, uh, I definitely see the appeal in the Correa pick. Um, an underrated season, like like you said, was not getting talked about enough. Just because the offense is down from last year, you see like oh, 360 on base, like that's not really MVP. But it's like actually this year, like. Um, I mean, maybe not MVP, but this year, like you can be really, truly elite at your position. Um, the, the plus numbers are the ones we like to look at. And the WRC plus yep. for Correa is up at a 140. So great offensive year for him. Um, but I think, um, for my money, Lindor, 160 games played over 700 plate appearances. Mm -hmm. So an absolute guy you can count on to be in there every single day, 26 home runs for him, 16 stolen bases, elite defense, all while being one of the best hitters at the position in baseball. Not the best, but one of the best with elite defense, good base running. Really kind of a jack-of-all-trades this season. I think underrated this season is Lindor. So go ahead and make your case for Correa. Yeah, you know, that's one thing I'll point out that I think is definitely a plus for your argument and your side is that he played almost 162 games. And at the shortstop, that is the hardest position besides catcher, in my opinion, when you look at the starting nine. Um, going out there for the full season, never missing a game and able to perform at that high level Lindor. That is really special. One thing and one reason why I chose Correa baseball reference, same war and over a, about a month of baseball less for Carlos Correa. So both guys sitting at a 5.4 war baseball reference war. Um, and Correa, of course, playing just about just about 25 or so games less than, than of course, Francisco Lindor. Mm -hmm. So um, that's my big case. All the percentage stats are, of course, up. That's, of course, going to be, of course, you know, it, it, it's it's going to be um, expected when it comes to a, 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 um, a smaller sample size. So, right. of course, I get that. But the batting average, of course, 291 um, on base slugging OPS all higher. 140 OPS plus. He actually led all of shortstops in OPS plus this year. And then of course, 22 home runs. I think Lindor either had 25 or 26 home runs, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, for me, I just liked that, that Carlos Correa, if he played a full 60, this guy would be of course over a six war, almost approaching a seven war on the season. That's almost similar to what he did last year. Um, I think he just kind of hid in that Minnesota market in that Minnesota 
um, you know, cloud that we didn't really focus too much on, especially when they started to die off was Lindor is playing in New York, the Big Apple. His team is very successful. We saw a lot of him, and I respect that he had 161 or 162 games played this season. But I think when it comes down to it, who I want at my shortstop for my all MLB team is Carlos Correa. Uh, the numbers, for my opinion, you know, just point out to be very good, especially even though he missed um, a good month of baseball with injuries and all that. I still like what he did uh, when it comes to the production and the efficiency when he's out there. So that's why I made that pick. But I'll tell you this one thing, Alex, the shortstop position, Lindor, Correa, those are the two top guys. Of course, I was looking at Dansby. He had a huge fall off in the second half. Bogarts, I was looking at as well. Power numbers, just not as good as all these other guys, even though the contact and the batting average is good. Bogarts is kind of on a He's kind of in a, in an interesting stock drop right now where I feel like a couple of years ago, you could look and say Xander Bogarts is the best hitting shortstop in Major League Baseball. That's just plain and simple. Nothing to argue about that. I think there's other guys coming to the league right now that, of course, are going to be challenging that. Mm -hmm. uh, Trey Turner, another guy I looked at, too. The war was not as strong, and he kind of more focused on the contact this year and the base running and the base stealing. Um, the power is not, I think, where it was last year. I think it was north of 30 home runs or something like that. But um, I will say the one thing I'm, in agreeance, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you is Lindor is a top two. That's 100%. I just like Correa, what he's been able to do in uh, in a short-term span. A couple, about a month of baseball shortened from Lindor in almost the same stats um, if you look at that. So that's why I went with Correa. Um, again, I, I'm just... I'm I'm honestly surprised because I didn't I think about two weeks ago I looked at his stats and I was like, holy crap, I, I thought this guy was just having a complete downfall of a year, but he's still out there putting up great numbers. Maybe not the best numbers as he's had as like last year, but of course you look at OPS plus, it's a better season than last year, which is kind of just incredible to look at that he's right. really having almost a better season. I thought he was almost on God mode last year. I thought, oh my God, Correa is going to get the craziest extension. We'll talk about that when the postseason is over and offseason gets into it. He could be looking for a new contract. He might be opting out of Minnesota. But for me, I like Correa at the shortstop position. So that's kind of where I went in right there. Almost the same production numbers with a shorter um, sample size than Lindor. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, I understand kind of the difference in philosophy there. Uh, and like, yeah, like, like you said, I do think he would make sense to opt out. Um, he did not play a full healthy 162, but at the end of the day, shortstop getting, you know, 120 some games in or whatever it was still really, you know, uh, valuable. And I think he could definitely earn a huge paycheck off this season. I'll tell you one thing. He's a big fan of Mr. Shohei Otani. So he said that, yes, he has said that. And well, that'll be some interesting conversations <laughs> come the off season, but we'll move on to third base, Travis. Um, we've I, had this argument for probably a good, yeah, uh, I would say two years when we look at the third base spot, but of course this year, um, it's of course a big argument, but I get, think, let me, let me hear your take on, on Machado. Yeah. Yeah. So these two guys, Machado and Arenado, some of the most comparable seasons I've seen in a long time, the numbers are really just matching up in a kind of a crazy way. Uh, I'll go ahead and say that. You have always been high on Arenado, and this is the one season where I think, um, yes, you can say like, oh, MVP nod, like I can respect that. Mm -hmm. Best third baseman in, in baseball this season, like I can I can respect it. But for my money, I'm going with Manny Machado. Um, a, a quick note, 
uh, Jose Ramirez had a great first half. I think he got hurt, kind of tailed off a bit. Yep. He fell out of the conversation. Bregman got hot. Riley got hot. Both guys not quite enough to be as productive as the top two, the big mm-hmm. two this year being Machado and Arenado. Just going over how... Devers some, fell off as well. Yeah, A really poor second half from Devers. Other guys heated up. Chapman was good. Diaz good. Suarez mm-hmm. good. But um, it, it was a two-man race for sure. Going over the numbers between the two, Travis, and how similar and comparable they are. Um, and also, I think that this Fangraphs does not include today's games is what I'm noticing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, I, I, I'm taking that as well, yeah. But um, I'm looking at 149 games played for Machado, 147 for Arenado, almost identical. Home runs, 32 for Machado, 30 for Arenado, almost identical. RBIs, both at 102. Stolen bases, 9 for Machado, 5 for Arenado. Machado walks about 10% of the time. Arenado about 8.5% of the time. Machado strikes out quite a bit more um, and makes up for it with a little bit higher of an on-base by about 0.08 or 0.008 and then a higher or a lower slugging by 0.003. So like almost identical numbers across the board. The average is only off by four points. I mean, such comparable mm-hmm. seasons. Their WOBA is actually both at 0.381. Mm-hmm. Um, their WRC plus both at 151. So you could honestly make a very good case saying their offense is is it's it's, it's, it's stupid identical. It's identical. Yeah. Um, the base running favors Machado. The defense by Fangraphs is favoring Arenado. Um, we all know that he um, is kind of the, I don't know what the word, but he's just like the example, the model of kind of defense at the position for yep. this generation. Brooks Robinson, yeah. But Manny Machado, Travis, I think for every crazy play you see of Arenado, you see another one of Machado where he just does something. Like Arenado makes impossible plays yeah. look possible, but Machado, you'll just see some other, it's just, it's just very different, but mm-hmm. equally impressive where it's like, you'll see him make some throw that he like is on his back, He's like on his knee, like leaning backwards and just all on the arm, just a strike to first base. Yeah, you just yeah. you just see crazy stuff from both these two. So um, their Fangraphs war is 7.3 for Machado, 7.2 for Arenado. When when war is that close, it's yeah. a toss up. You can't you, you, you can't you can't pull straws on that. So, yeah, it really just came down a part of it. I mean, this is not you know, I don't look I don't look to other. I don't look to team performance and I don't look to supporting cast very much, Mm -hmm. but I think the fact that Machado was really a one man show, um, Soto kind of, even though Soto had a better offensive season than people give him credit because that on base was so good. Um, I still think that Machado was really kind of a one man show, never got Tatis to help him clawed the Padres to the playoffs. Um, I could not be more impressed with the season that Mm -hmm. he had, um, and yeah, he, I think if I'm not mistaken, let me double check here. I think he may have led all of, of MLB outside of Otani and judge in, uh, fan war. Let me double check real quick. Okay. So I'm not wrong. That is correct. Yes, okay. it is Machado. And then, but the Arenado is right behind him. Like I said, it's pretty much a wash. So I think honestly, their seasons could not be more similar and it really comes down to preference. And I think you and I both kind of know, my preference, I've always liked Machado, at least um, this version of Machado. Mm-hmm. And then you are an Arenado guy. I have always been a bit critical of Arenado, the, the, <laughs> the, the, mainly mainly because there is the Cole Coors thing. He was playing in Colorado. And like, like you say, why put a team in Colorado if you're going to criticize them? I agree with that. 
and they should be cut some slack in certain situations. But if you look at the OPS plus numbers, uh, Arenado was, I think, getting a little too much love in Coors, but uh, are too much like like being considered the undisputed best yep. third baseman, I think, was a little too much. But this year, Travis, um, being up around 150 on the OPS plus, like that is what I'm talking about mm-hmm. in terms of like this guy um had a monster year i think his best year of his career for my money at least so yep. go ahead and make your case for arenado yeah and you know it's funny you point out all the offensive numbers and it, it it's just so similar that it was just it, it was kind of just a toss-up i mean i'll say this thing alex you're right about machado being a one-man show in san diego leading that team to the five seed no tatis soto comes he's kind of the, the headline does not perform to his expectation. Machado continues to be this guy that basically is carrying this offense for the San Diego Padres. So I give you that. And one thing I'll give you as well, if I had to vote right now, Silver Slugger, Machado is my guy. I'm going to say that right now. He, of course, I think slightly, slightly edged Nolan Arenado in the offensive categories. More home runs. I think what a better, a better batting average. I think he had a little bit of a... A little bit better on, on base, base, but a lower slugging by, slightly. By three points, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's so close. It, 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 you're right. It's so close. And what, the OPS is what? A, a six-point six point difference is an 898 for Manny Machado and then an 891. So a seven-point difference for both guys. Arenado slightly down there, slightly down in the OPS plus category. Um, for me, Alex, and you know, it's funny, you know, I know we, we both compare and this is actually a good thing. You look at fan graphs war. I look at baseball reference war Arenado right now finishing at a 7.9 baseball reference war. That of course is over one war higher than Manny Machado right now, just because defense is so high on baseball reference war chart. Again, it's kind of an interesting stat that I've never really looked at the equation, but it's funny how two different sites can equate different wars. Right. Um, I know you mentioned one time in an episode, you said, I'm just going to look at the war that supports my guy better. So yeah, that was a um, famous quote. Yeah, But, <laughs> but you know, rightfully so. I mean, it's good to look at both wars and I'm glad you pointed out that it's literally a, it's literally neck and neck right there for the war and fan graphs war. So both guys are so close there as well. Um, for me, Arenado leading, um, leading all of national league baseball players. He actually leads his teammate, uh, Paul Goldschmidt in baseball reference war. So behind Aaron judge, Nolan Arenado is the next position player up when it comes to baseball reference war and who's higher. Shoya Otani, of course, I think is at a 9.5, but he's a unicorn. So he of course gets the, uh, the, the extra special treatment for being a pitcher rightfully so though. But for me, Arenado just being an absolute stud, he's going to win his, let's see, he's going to win his what? 10th gold glove this season. No doubt about it. Honestly, if I had to put money, he's going to win his sixth platinum glove. I know this award has not been out for a very long time. I think it's been like 10, 15 years. This glove has been a thing. He's going to win his sixth platinum glove. That's going to be pretty impressive as well. Um, we have not seen a third baseman like this since Brooks Robinson. I think I, I would say he's better than Brooks Robinson. I mean, I think both guys can be comparable, but Nolan Arenado is putting things together at defense that we have not seen before. And for having such a close offensive season as Machado, I think I give him the nod for what he's been able to do. Been able to make this Cardinals team not only a division winner, but in my opinion, honestly, 
could be a very strong team when it comes to the postseason. This offense and this defense, I would say also for the Cardinals, is a, um, a, a, a it's a National League wrecking crew that I think that we're going to we're going to see, of course, this weekend to see if they can prove it. But uh, it, it, I think with Nolan Arenado, he is by far um, my guy. Might be some bias in there as well, but I think with what he's been able to do this season with the war, with the offensive numbers being so close, if they were so dramatically different, I, of course, would probably be going somewhere else with this. But I think with what he's been able to do offensively, it's just so special. And, um, you know, he, he's, of course, going to finish on my all MLB top team. Uh, I, I really nothing too much to say about it. I think I think we're looking at there was a question a couple days ago I saw on Twitter and it was are we looking at Nolan Arenado as the best defensive position player of our generation it's a tough question because I would definitely argue no you know Mookie Betts could be another guy we look at as a guy who is being such a high valuable position player right now of what we're what we're seeing um but Nolan Arenado for the infield defense i think right now we have not seen someone who is this consistent and this good at the defensive level um as long as i can remember watching baseball so i'll say that right now Nolan arenado in my opinion since i've been alive is the best defensive uh infielder that i've ever seen so i think he is what he what he's doing is so unique and so special um it's rightfully so deserved and you know most people thought the fall off from coors was going to be a huge effect he was not going to be the same person and you know what he had a great season in 2019 but it's funny that this season will be his best season of all time didn't eclipse the best ops of his career but that's why we have ops plus plus alex right he had a 154 ops plus um that's definitely something to be notified um it factors in the the ballpark as well as exactly how good other players are hitting that year so the dead and ball this year and leaving coors the decrease in ops still i think still travis for me mm-hmm. it's easily his best offensive season it even is. though the average on base looking might not be like some of the other years um the context matters and playing in st louis playing in 2022 with this ball it is his best offensive yep. year so i would yep. agree with yep. that so i would say Nolan Arenado for me all mlb but I do like your points where, of course, Manny Machado, one-man wrecking crew in San Diego. Manny Machado, in my opinion, though, does slightly edge out when you look at Silver Sluggers in the National League. I think Manny Machado put on the best offensive third-base season in the National League um, slightly. But when I look at the overall picture, I think Arnado, of course, has captured that best all-around third baseman. Um, I'm glad we had some disagreement in the left side, Alex. <laughs> Usually we didn't have much to talk about, but of course there we had a lot to talk about. But uh, does that conclude the infield? Are we good to move on to the outfield? I'm Look, pretty sure outfield should be I relatively... Think, I mean, two will be the same. I think three will be the same, but let's okay. see how it goes. Okay, okay. I'll go first with my outfield for the all-MLB. Uh, two, of course, obvious guys, Alex. It's going to be Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, doesn't matter where you put them. If you want to put Mike Trout in right, if you want to put Mike Trout in center, even though he should be in center field, uh, Aaron Judge just fits better in right field, in my opinion. But uh, the last outfielder I have for this season's All MLB is going to be Mookie Betts. Um, Mookie Betts, I would say, kind of an interesting season. The war is not what he's been used to putting up in seasons past, because of course we saw him put up what was it in 2018? I think he had a 10.7 WAR, and that was just kind of an absurd season. The hitting, the defense, the base running was all at a perfection type level. We hadn't seen a ten, uh, a ten point seven WAR or higher since two thousand four Barry Bonds. 
Um, so of course that's when you know you're in special territories when you're up with those guys with those kind of seasons. But this year, Mookie Betts a 6.4 WAR to finish off the season, 35 home runs, definitely a very powerful season that he's had. I think it's honestly it is his career high in home runs this season, Alex, with 142 games played and a um, an OPS plus at 136. So of course still sticking around, not having the the same OPS plus season as Judge or Mike Trout. But of course, a great defender, a great kidder, um, a great leader of that team, and of course, a great base runner. He's one of the best, I would say, all around. Um, he, he's up there with one of the best, you know, tier one five tool players in the league, especially with the power being so strong this year. I would give him a great five tool, uh, you know, nod, pat on the back for him this year. But those are my three outfielders. Alex, who do you got for your three? Yep, it's the same three. Okay. It has to be, in my opinion. Uh, Trout and Judge, the offense absolutely off the charts judge of course we'll get into it more in the mvp discussion but a 207 wrc plus really says it all he's twice as good as the average hitter in terms of his overall production um and then mike trout uh well deserving of an outfield spot 280 average 366 on base definitely a low mark for his career but a 621 slugging does make up for it a bit i think he's sold out he sold out a bit on the discipline in favor for power um, not sure he needed to do that because he had power anyways, but I think this is one of the best uh, power seasons of his career, at least. Um, the home runs were off the charts. He did have that like six, was it six or seven straight seven games straight, yep. of home runs uh, late in the season. Missed some time due to injury, Travis. If he was healthy for a full 160, I really do wonder what could have happened. Aaron Judge, see you later. Only, I think, 119 games played for him this year. Um and then yeah, like I said, it was it was thirty or forty home runs. Hit his fortieth home run today, which is second in all of baseball, right? Or is it tied? Maybe it is. Um, I know Schwarber had like forty two. Okay, so, so second in American League. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, um, correct. Second American League. So yeah, I mean, Travis, just today actually, in case fans didn't know, two sorry, a four ninety foot home run to dead center in Oakland. But um, first, it was a four fifty. It was four fifty and. Travis, you, I didn't see it happen live. You told me you thought it was like 470 plus. Mm -hmm. And then uh, StatCast did like a re-review of it for whatever reason, the ballpark. Um, I think it's hard to predict the distance in uh, in Oakland sometimes because the outfield is like so raised. But they, they did a calculation 490 feet. Um, an absolute monster shot, exclamation point on the year for Mike Trout, who really proved... Um, that he's still around to stay as one of the best players in baseball, if not an argument for the best player in baseball. Yep. 173 WRC+, plus, which is right around his career average. So the offensive numbers might look a bit down for him, um, even if you factor in the injury, but that's just part of the dead and ball um, that's getting everybody this year. Mm -hmm. And then Mookie Betts, Travis, we agree, he's the uh, third outfielder that belongs in this trio. Kind of the three outfielders of the last you know few years is, is these three guys. 100%. Um, Mookie definitely brings the defense in a huge way, has the base running. He had 12 stolen bases. I was surprised to find out Judge had 16 stolen bases, which yeah. is pretty interesting. But um, Betts, of course, 270 hitter, 340 on base, 535 slugging. Just great numbers across the board. Very kind of solid, very standard for him. Um, played a lot of the games, got a little bit hurt, only 141 games played, so not quite every game, but more than Trout still, mm -hmm. less than Judge. Um Charles, for me, the real thing that made me pick Mookie is I feel like there's just 
those three, and then there's just a bit of a drop. Yep. And there's other great outfielders with great years. Julio Rodriguez definitely deserves at least a look. Um, Kyle Tucker, not quite what he did in years past, but still a very solid season for him. Um, other guys that are high up on the war Fangraph's leaderboard is like guys like Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, but none of those guys had a season that were as good as Betts, in my opinion. So Betts, Judge, and Trout, that has to be the picks in my book. Um, yeah, we, we, we totally agree there. So probably good to move on to DH now. Um, I'll go ahead and start us off. One right answer for that one. I went with Jordan Alvarez. Um, the offense was uh, incredible to say the least getting 6.6 Fangraphs war as a DH. He did play some outfield, so it was definitely helping the war a bit. Um, I think calculating war for a DH when they also play outfield, it gets very, very tricky. Um, but anyways, just looking at the offense, uh, over a 300 average, over a 400 on base, over a 600 slug. That's kind of the... the that's just kind of the... Uh, ideal look that we like to see on a complete hitter. You had good contact, but also elite walking skills that get that 400 on base. Also, absolutely elite pop at a 6-12 slugging. Um, he does a good job of walking 14% of the time, only striking out 18% of the time. 37 home runs on the year, missed some games there, so he might have been able to get 40 if he had a full season. But nonetheless, Travis, he was an easy pick. Otani had a great offensive year, um, but the uh, the I think the biggest thing that separates him and Jordan is uh, the completeness of the average and the on-base and the slugging, just all superior to Otani. They're all superior to everybody in the category, really. No yep. one other DH has that level um, in those three categories. So um, it was an easy pick. You would agree. I would agree too. And last year, I think we made an easy pick. It was Shohei Otani DH last year. We both picked him um, and kudos to what, of course, Otani has been able to do this season, another historic milestone season. But when you look at the all around best DH pure hitter, not focused on anything else, Jordan Alvarez clearly captures that. Um, you mentioned it great, a 300 or higher batting average, a 400 or higher on base, and a 600 or higher slugging. That's typically the batting line of a, of course, very good elite Hall of Fame hitter. And that's what Jordan is. I mean, we've seen him uh, for what is it four straight years now? Um, I would say actually three straight years now 2020, he only played two games, he was hurt that season. And he's just been on a tear from what he's able to do. Possibly, I would say it'd be a good argu argument to look at. But one of the best pure hitters since 2019, Jordan Alvarez, has to be on that discussion or that list. And one of the biggest things, Alex, is I looked it up, I think, a couple weeks ago, and I sent it to you. This dude's younger than me. I mean, he is 25 and 100 days a year old. Um, June 27th, 1997, he was born. I mean, <laughs> you look at his picture. He looks 35. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. What he's been able to do at this young age is really remarkable. He's one guy, Alex, I would probably like to put a bet on if there was the, the you know, the bet was, of course, available. But I think he's a guy that will easily capture, uh, it should capture 500 home runs. Um, it looks like he's on a very good pace for that as well. So Jordan uh, Alvarez, one of the best pure DH hitters so far since 2019, at least, of course, this decade He's one of the best pure hitters. So kudos to him. He is an easy choice for the DH. There's really no discussion about that. Shohei, of course, the next best guy up. 
um, the home runs, the speed, the base running, uh, the, oh, the slugging percentage as well. They all, of course, are, uh, are are pointing to a good second place finish for um, for Shohei Otani. One guy, of course, I didn't mention, but played a lot of DH, put a lot of alpha this year too, but Kyle Schwarber, 40, um, I think it was 44 or 46 home runs he finished with on the season for Kyle Schwarber. So, of course, an, a, almost a record year for Schwarber and the power. Uh, he put it together a very good uh, DH season for the Phillies in the first DH season for an NL ball club in uh, in what major league history. So of course, a, a kudos to, to Kyle Schwarber. But Jordan Alvarez clearly separates himself from the pack when you look at all the stat lines and all the numbers. So that of course will be our DH. Um, that pretty much sums up our starting nine, or at least our position players, or at least our dream lineup. Almost our so. all MLB. Yeah, I think. Um... I'm glad with the conversations we had. It's funny how everything was the same except for the left side of the infield were completely different. But um, we can get into the pitching now, Travis. Mm -hmm. I can now give you a 100% guarantee we have some differences here. Our starting Um, five will will be different. It'll be very different. Um, I'll go ahead and say what my methodology was kind of, and this also ties into the Cy Young. Okay. Um, and that'll get, of course, into the, a good transition into the wards, of course, because right. um, I'm pretty sure you're, both your Cy Youngs for the league will be on the starting five. So Right, yeah. right. And so um, my methodology is this. I think that ERA is good on a surface level to kind of give people an idea of how this guy's season has gone. But I think in terms of saying who's the better pitcher, I don't think it's a very good stat um, for a few reasons. Earned run average, or a lot of it has to do with the defense behind you. A lot of it has to do with what the scorekeeper decides is an earned run versus a uh, unearned run. If there's an error, they can choose to blame the defense or the pitcher if they want to, essentially. I also think a problem with it is that there's some pitchers get some bad luck. Sometimes balls just don't, they just land in the, in the, in the bad spots. The pitcher did his job. He forced a weak ground ball. It just happened to go bits right, right between the first and second baseman. They couldn't make the play. So, um, I think that there are better stats to look at. That's my short little rant. So if you guys see the pitchers, I'm going to, I'm going to list and say, Oh, his ERA was this. I'm like, I just want you guys to know that I really did not even factor ERA mm-hmm. almost at all in this list um that, that's just my little rant there mm-hmm. i'll go into my five travis then you can go in your five and we'll make arguments for for kind of each perfect i'm excited for you <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see your reaction to my list i'm so scared my five starting pitchers for my all mlb team 2022 carlos rodon gosman aaron nola shohei otani justin verlander those are my five Tell me your five, and then we'll talk. So a couple similarities, of course, we have some uh, we have some similar guys on this list. Um, my starting five, no order, of course, we're not doing that. Um, no I order for mine as well. Yeah, Sandy Alcantara, Alcantara. I know you had a you had a way to say it. How, Alcantara. That's right. That's right. Good, uh, good Spanish. Spanish, uh, Spanish three. That's right. That's right. But uh, Sandy, uh, Justin Verlander. I like to call him chef now because all he does is cook. Uh, we saw him last night in that uh, five inning, 10 strikeout game. But Sandy, Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease, Shohei Otani. That is my five, Alex. Um, it's good five. And I say this also, I did not 100% look at 
ERA because, of course, Rodon, I don't think he's even on the top 10 for MLB ERA. He's at a 288. Right. But one thing he is doing very well, and he leads all of MLB, is strikeouts per nine. That is at a 12 right now. He currently leads and currently leads all MLB in FIP at a 2.5. I'm sorry, 2.25 FIP on the season. Um, so, of course, I wanted to get involved in those stat lines, of, of course, as well. I, I think for my pitching, I look at a lot of different things. I want to look at guys who are workhorses. I want to look at guys who are very efficient with just striking out guys nonstop, not messing around. I don't want guys that put the ball in contact a lot. Um, you know, there are certain guys I like in, that. in the league. But, you know, you know, of course, you know, I mean, you, you're looking at a guy right now that literally, you know, kind of knows the stuff. Travis knows team. ball. But um, we had Otani. We had Justin Verlander. Um, and we had Rodon, correct? Did you have Dylan Cease? I did not have Dylan Cease. You did not have Dylan Cease. Okay, and, so uh, basically we'll, we'll start with, of course, Otani, Rodon, Verlander. Um, right, the guys we both have. Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, my case, and 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 my case, of you might agree with this too, Verlander, 1.75 ERA. For me, ERA, like you mentioned, there are some stat lines where you could say ERA is not, is not as important as other things. But when you have that low of an ERA, and I think he might have had the lowest since Pedro Martinez, 1.74. Correct. Um, American, another American League kind of milestone we have not seen in such a long time. So Justin Verlander had to be on this list. He's just been an interesting, interesting pitcher all season long from what he's been able to do. I mean, a workhorse, someone that is leading all MLB in whip, leads all of MLB in ERA+. Plus. Leads all MLB, of course, in ERA. Leads the American League in wins. I know, of course, wins is the last stat we want to talk about, Alex. But he has done such a great job with that Astros team. I had to, I had to include him. That's my justification for him. Rodon being a strikeout machine, 12 strikeouts per nine is incredible. What he was able to do this season, the last two seasons, his stock has just continued to climb. Absolutely. He will be a free agent. He'll be opting out this offseason. He'll be looking for a nice payday. Rodon is definitely on that. Shohei Otani, you can make the argument that, hey, this guy hits and he also pitches that good. I don't want to talk about that because I think that's unfair for the other pitchers. I want to talk about this guy pitches at a very high level. The hitting is almost extra this season. I mean, it is completely an extra um gift for the viewer but Shohei Otani this season what he's been able to do the best pitching season that we've seen from him the strikeouts on another level he is up there with almost the um the Carlos Rodon numbers when you look at standard pitching he is at 11.9 leads all of the AL for strikeouts per nine which of course is if is fantastic a FIP of 2.40 Rodon we remember had a 2.25 so just over Rodon for the FIP. And then, of course, an ERA finished this season at a 2.33. Alex, the last two starts, we've seen perfect games go into the fifth inning. That is just how special this guy is. I mean, I cannot stress enough how incredible he finished this season. I'll say this, beginning of September, probably not on my starting five. He has just climbed himself into this category, and it's just unbelievable. We were at the game last Thursday against Oakland um perfect game into the eighth inning I perfect believe. game into the eighth inning if we had our regular starting shortstop in the game he probably would have made a very good play in getting this I think it was one or two outs in the eighth inning but it would have been most likely an out to of course extend the perfect game we could have saw history Alex a perfect game in your last couple of weeks of the season I mean while you're in an MVP race it would have been crazy <laughs> I mean what a crazy 
last second almost feet to your pitching season and he's put himself in the category for so many starting pitchers in american league and also national league um kudos this season so i had to include him alex because i just i i don't think i've seen a guy be this dominant in his last couple starts i think the season the the, the start before it alex wasn't he facing the rangers and he threw seven complete innings with zero runs given up right and and then just just today it was it was he allowed a run but he was perfect through four i mean it's just been consistent dominance it's it's been insane to watch him play this season and so i of course had to make him on my radar for the all mlb starting five rotation so those of course are three guys that we agreed on two guys of course we did not agree on which honestly alex i am i am very surprised that i knew you were a dylan cease follower you loved him he was on fantasy he helped your fantasy team out a lot not having him on your starting five, give me kind of your take on um, on why you didn't have him, and then of course why who you chose in his replacement, Aaron Nola, I think it was, or, or right. someone else. Right. So um, I think that the fact that I didn't include Dylan C should be proof that I'm not being biased. I'm not choosing the guy that I like, the guy that I bet on. I have money on Dylan C. Cy Young. I, I thought it was SP number one for you. He is SP1 in my heart, but not <laughs> not in my brain. And I picked these with my brain, of course. Um, Dylan Cease had a phenomenal year. He had an amazing year, a breakout year. ERA was amazing. All those all those uh, streak of games where he was allowing like zero or one runs in like 13 straight games or whatever it was. And that streak finally ended with like an error by AJ Pollock. Not really an error, but just a poorly played ball and like if that was called an error, the streak would have even gone longer. But yep. but but long story short, like I said, there are stats I just prefer over ERA. Cease had a very impressive ERA at a 2.2, according to Fangraphs. Um, like I said, the stats for today are not updated, but I think they are for you because our numbers aren't yep. the same for Otani. So, but either way, um, it's all going to be just about mm-hmm. the same. Um, no one, no one had a blow up start today. 166 innings pitched officially for Shohei Otani. It says for me, so yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on on cease a 2.2 ERA, but the FIP is a bit higher, north of three. And even though the strikeouts are really good with Cease, over 30% of his uh, guys he faces are strikeouts. That's more than almost anyone besides like Burns, Rodon, and Otani. Like it's a really high number, but he does walk quite a few over 10 percent of the guys he faces uh he walks and there's no one else in the top 30 on the fifth leaderboards that walk that many so mm-hmm. he definitely walks a ton i think that really hurts his fip it hurts his fangraphs war because fangraphs war for pitchers is based on fip yeah. whereas baseball reference war is based on how many runs you allowed not even earned runs just runs in general mm-hmm. per nine innings so yeah it says 78 walks to lead MLB this season. Led that, MLB. That was a stat line that I looked at and was kind of, uh, you know. It, it keeps you out of the Cy Young conversation for sure, yes, I think. Yeah, so yeah. Um, he he was definitely someone who I really liked this season and someone who I gave serious consideration to. Um, I just think that uh, there were guys who I liked more. I will go into now Aaron Nola, like you mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, Aaron Nola, I think that the ERA does him absolutely dirty he has a 3.25 era the fip is down at a 258 it's a top five fip in baseball um for those that may not know i think i've explained it before but fip is just an era estimator it's meant to kind of say 
it takes defense out of the equation essentially. It it only looks at your strikeouts, your walks, and if you allow any home runs. So pretty much balls that were fielded by defense, it ignores those and says over the long term, if every team had a similar defense, those would all be kind of the same. And so we just care about your strikes, your strikeouts, your walks, your home runs. Um, we'll ignore all the variables that can happen with errors, with balls that kind of get blooped in no man's land. We'll just ignore all that, mm-hmm. call it even amongst all the pitchers. So um, Aaron Nola's FIP is top five in baseball. His expected FIP is also um, up there towards the top of all of baseball. Something he does incredibly well, Travis, is both strike guys out and avoid walks. He walked 3.6% of batters. I think that's the best in baseball. Let me double check right now. It is the second best in baseball besides Corey Kluber. So in terms of limiting walks, he's absolutely elite. He still struck out 29% of guys he faced. A really cool stat that I think matters a lot for pitchers is strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. So just pretty much how much are you doing your job and avoiding the the bad part. Mm -hmm. And number one on that leaderboard is Shohei Otani. Number two is actually Garrett Cole. And then Nola's at, at four. So he's top five wow. in that as well. So he's just top five in a lot of stats that I care about. Mm-hmm. So Nola makes my list for that reason. Great strikeout guy. Really good at avoiding walks. A control freak this year for sure. Um, and yeah, the ERA doesn't dirty Travis because he is playing, um, of course, for the Phillies. Famously, a really negative defense. And that should not... It does affect the pitcher's ERA. It should not affect their Scion candidacy for me. Unfortunately, it does. I think a guy like Nola Travis, I think he'd be top five in Cy Young probably at least twice, three times in the last five seasons if he just played uh, with a, in a really either St. Louis pitcher-friendly <laughs> ballpark or a great defense behind yes. him, one yeah. of the two. I mean, he had Castellanos and Schwarber playing the corner outfield for him. Yeah, and then, yeah. of course, whenever Gregoria starts at shortstop, that's not going to be very good. Bohm has, uh, I mean, famously made some really bad errors that cost runs for multiple of the pitchers there. I hate this having place. Yes, that was a big <laughs> moment. Um, and then I think even even like Hoskins, like just you can go down the list. Uh, there are some question marks there. Um, so much so that they actually went out and got Brandon Marsh to play defense center field, who had a struggling bat, but they just said we need defenders on this team. Um, at the deadline so goes to show you how much the defense really didn't help nola out i still want to give him major props for what he did do for what he could control and the last thing travis i'll say i'll switch gears i also had gosman and mm-hmm. did not include alcantara who is yeah i think um the biggest lo- i mean actually i don't know he's one of the biggest locks of the award seasons yes. for what the voters will pick i know what the voters will pick and i i i, I try to keep that out of my mind mm-hmm. when i'm doing my picks um i guess my biggest knock against alcantara and i don't want to downplay the special year he had because what he really was able to do that was so impressive was the volume for me yes um the volume set him apart um, in a big way from others. If I sort by innings pitched this season, he is up at 228 and two-thirds innings pitched. Mm-hmm. It's over 20 innings pitched more than the next guy, who is Aaron Nola. Um, only five guys north of 200 innings pitched. He's up at 228. So Almost a, three starts north of Nola, yeah. A really, yes, a really special volume season. Um, one knock on him for me is the strikeouts and the walks the walks aren't really a big problem he does walk more than verlander than nola than other guys towards the top of the leaderboards but it's not a huge problem at all 
Um, the He only strikes out 25% of the guys, which overall is an elite figure. But for me, it's not a top five in baseball kind of figure. The ERA, um, where was I? Sorry, it's 23% for, for Alcantara strikeouts. The ERA is elite at 2.28, but the FIP is quite a bit higher, almost at three. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, uh, I guess, more concerning advanced. That's not concerning, but just um, saying that there was probably a lot of luck with some of the balls in play this season um, for Alcantara. He definitely is a weak contact guy, not as much of a big strikeout guy. Um, and for that reason, uh, I think some things might have gone his way in terms of that weak contact. Um, a, the C, uh, stat called Sierra on Fangraphs is another, I think it's one of the most correlated stats for predicting future ERA. And he's up at a 3.41. So almost looking like not, uh, that elite for that stat. Um, that, that's just one number, of course. But overall, Travis, there's just things I like better about another pitcher like Gosman. So mm-hmm. if I'm comparing Gosman to Alcantara, Gosman strikes out more often. Uh, 28% of the guys he faces, he strikes out. He walks a lot less. 3.9% he walks um, versus 5.6 for Alcantara. So he's striking out more guys. He's walking fewer guys. Um, for that reason, the FIP is much better for Gosman. Um, all the ERA estimators are better for Gosman across the board. Um, the volume for Alcantara is definitely superior, and it makes a great case for him. But overall, I think Gosman is not getting enough love because of that ERA. is up at a 3.35. Yeah. For me, that's just not his fault. Um, just like Nola, I think that... I'm not sure if it's a defensive issue. I don't think Bichette... Obviously, you have Matt Chapman, but I don't think Bichette and Guerrero are a great kind of defensive situation there. I was going to so, say, yeah, Some Springer outfielders. Yeah. Springer's definitely aging, probably yeah. lost some speed whenever he does play center field. Um, even the corners, you know, you're not getting, you know, there's no standout gold glove guys besides, of course, Chapman. Um, so I think that Gosman definitely got the short end of the stick. You can look at a stat, a stat like Babip too, which tells you how often a ball that was put in play landed for a hit. He is way up there, uh, a .363. That's the batting average that players have when they put the ball in play against him. That just tells me that he had a lot of bad luck with balls kind of dropping in no man's land, right between outfielders, right between infielders. Um, there's just a lot of bad luck going on with some of his numbers this year. So some people will say that shouldn't matter, and all I care about is what happened, what runs scored. And if that's the way you want to do it, then I can respect that. But for me, I really care about what the pitcher actually could control. And when it came to strikeouts and walks, um, no one was as good as Godsman this year. Uh, that's not entirely true, but he's definitely top five for me. So yeah, yeah. So go ahead and, and give me your case for um, Alcantara since I did not include him. Um, and then who else was it that I did not include? Uh, don't cease. Go ahead and make your cases for them. Yeah, and even looking at, uh, you know, Gosman, and that's one good point, you know, looking at the advanced stats, but, you know, 188 hits given up this year in 174.2 innings pitched. So almost, you know, almost a hit an inning that he's giving up. So that's why his whip was so high on the season, a 1.237 whip on the season. So he is, of course, allowing a lot of hits, allowing not a ton of walks, but of course not on the, you know, freakish era for walks but of course I, I i will say again 28 walks this season that's very good in considering that he has had 31 starts you're almost looking at you know almost less, one walk every game less than yeah and so you know and, and so that's of course on a good end for me of course uh sandy i'll of course make the case more when we get more into the awards but with sandy sure um being a workhorse i mean just an absolute 
um, innings pitched juggernaut. And then, of course, six complete games, one shutout. He currently, I think, I'm sure he's tied for MLB with shutouts with one, but leads all of MLB with six complete games. That's pretty incredible. And that's honestly looking at his team. I'm pretty sure Matt Manningly, the manager, is looking at Sandy and says, you know what? I can't trust my bullpen to finish this game out. You have to go out there and finish this game out. So maybe that's why some of these advanced stats are, of course, a little bit higher than others. Maybe if he had a good bullpen or, you know, if he was on the Yankees or if he was on a good team, maybe these stats could be a little bit better. But I think I, with Sandy, say it again. I was going to say, I think that's a phenomenal point because last year there was a case to be made that Wheeler was in the same boat. He finished second in Cy Young to Corbin Burns. And some people, even the advanced stats guys were saying, all the advanced stats are favoring Burns, but Burns, Milwaukee, they don't mess around. They're going to pull you on the, you know, when you're going through your third time of the order, if you walk a guy, they're just going to yank you. But a guy like Wheeler at the Phillies, they really relied on him to go eight, nine innings. That almost this year was Alcantara being the guy who was kind of forced to go eight, nine innings. It going to make some of those numbers worse than they actually um, would be if you had a trustworthy bullpen. So I love that point. Yeah. And so that, that, and and I mean, exactly. We're looking at that point. You almost, it's kind of funny how you almost have to look at the team success and the team around you to see, how good some of these pitchers truly are. You know, what's the defense like? We saw this year at the Phillies, awful defense. If you had a pitcher that had an ERA below a three, I mean, you probably looking at a guy that should be almost up there with a top two in Cy Young because the defense is so bad. How do you have an ERA this good? You must be giving your position players very easy plays to make, um, which of course equates to a very good starting pitcher. But for me, Sandy, I just love the workhorse factor. I love that, of course, the FIP is still below a three. The ERA, of course, 2.28. I don't think that's not first. I know Julio Urias got the ERA title for the National League, but I think it might be a second place finish for the National League in ERA. But for me, Sandy, also looking at in-game, you know, footage of him, I know the Angels played the Marlins this year and they got to face him. I mean, pitches that you cannot even imagine hitting. These sliders, some of these sinkers, these cutters, movement that I have not seen in a very long time or at least ever. So I, I like, of course, the pitch factors that he offers out there. But I think also the work factor and playing for a team that finished fourth, under 500 he was their ace every single time i'm pretty sure maddenly looked at him and said sandy you got to give me seven or eight innings tonight i cannot get this bullpen in there to get a win so you have to go all the way it might cause you um some you know tougher stretches maybe later down in the seventh eighth ninth inning when you are facing the one two three hitters for the fourth time in the order they've seen you so many times they're able to piece up balls a little bit better but of course i still like that factor in keeping him on my top five rotations. So that's one reason why I chose him. Um, and moving on to Cease, Alex, we kind of covered it. Cease being such a great strikeout leader. The big thing is issuing walks. That's, of course, kind of be the big sore note on him for the season. But I think with the ERA, the strikeouts, what he's able to overcome. And honestly, that, that bullpen early on was very troubling to look at. I know Liam Hendricks had some very troubling starts, or of course, some finishes in the last part of, or I'm sorry, in the beginning of the 2022 season. He blew a lot of games. Cease was a guy they really had to depend on, and he almost looked like he got better. And there was one stat line I know he had that was pretty incredible. What was it like? Number of games with either zero earned runs or one earned run or less 
it was something that was pretty spectacular. It was a long streak. I think an all-time streak. It, it, it was up there with, um, you know, of course, old-time baseball with some guys that just dominated the game for a season. But Dylan Cease, I think, had a season that was very memorable. Uh, that's why, of course, I'm, I'm extremely surprised. I thought if I had to bet one guy on this list that I had that's on your list, it's Dylan Cease. But not seeing him, um, of course, shocking. But I think, of course, he deserves to be a starting five rotation guy. I can, of course, look at Nola. I can, of course, look at Gosman and say, you're right as well. Um, Nola playing with just a bad defense and still able to put up those kind of numbers. It definitely is uh, a tainted ERA look when you have Hoskins, Alec Bohm, Gregorius, and then, of course, you have, you know, Schwarber and Castellanos playing corner outfield. I mean, any ball hit to the corners of any position in that defense, it's almost like, can you guys make a play for me? But um, Nola, of course, still up there with the strikeouts, still up there with the FIP numbers and all that stuff. So, of course, a very good uh, individualized pitcher, I would definitely say. And he's a free agent this year, so it could be a good season for him to get paid. It could be a season where, or an offseason where you look at some team saying, hey, your ERA wasn't that good, and we're going to get away with giving you this deal, but really you're giving away a sneaky deal to one of the best starting pitchers in the game. So keep an eye on that, I would say, listeners. Aaron Nola could be getting a deal that he should be getting a lot more for if, of course, his agent and some of the other statisticians are saying, your ear was only this good, we're going to give you five years. We're, we're going to give you Eduardo Rodriguez money, let's just say. you know. But um, if you have a team with a really good defense, I mean, just imagine, like I said, Aaron Nola on the St. Louis Cardinals. Who knows what that ERA is looking like right now? It would be nuts, absolutely, and I do agree. I think that he's a great value pick for... Uh, any team looking to add a pitcher the offseason I, I i think that front offices are becoming more and more like wise to the advanced stats and saying you know what um this is what we care about that's what we care about this is what we don't care about so i'm definitely excited to have those conversations mm-hmm. come off season um that wraps up pitchers i'm sure we'll get more into some of these names for yep. the scion conversation so let's just keep it moving relief pitcher travis i imagine we have the same guy yes i will say even though even though I'm sure we have the same guy, I did have to give some thought to a couple others. But uh, Edwin Diaz is the pick. I imagine it's the same for you, correct? Same thing here, yeah. Yeah, so I'll kind of break it down briefly. Um, a really, really nutty 17 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, even more nutty, in fact, Travis. 50% of the batters faced he struck out. A 50% K percentage. If I sort this leaderboard by K percentage... He's up at 50. Next best is 40. So he's a whole 10, <laughs> 10% better than anyone at striking wow. guys out amongst uh, pitchers in the game. The, the next best is Devin Williams at 40. Wow. Um, doing a pretty good job of lim- limiting walks for reliever standards. Um, if I sort by strikeout percent minus walk percent, he's also in the lead by over 10% of the next second best guy. So tons of these advanced stats really favoring him. Travis, a 1.31 ERA is elite. A less than a one FIP, a 0.9 FIP tells me this guy might have even been better than we even thought he could be. Um, he's leading in uh, Sierra. He's leading in XFIP. He's leading in any stat, any advance stat I can pull out of my hat. He's leading in it. Um, just an incredible season from him. I will give brief props. I had to consider a couple others. Ryan Housley is someone, Travis, who never made one of our lists. It's been Diaz yep. or Hader mm-hmm. all the way. Um, Helsley is someone who... A 1.25 ERA, definitely worth consideration. Strikes out 40% of the guys he faces. But Diaz just had a supernatural year that it's undisputed. He has to be the closer on this team. 
uh, anything, anything else to add? I mean, I was going to say the one thing you had to look at, I mean, for a, a basic stat line look, you just look at innings pitched and you look at strikeouts and it's basically two strikeouts an inning for this Edwin Diaz closer. So, I mean, you hit it, you hit it right there where, you know, he is just dominating when he's coming out of the pen, much like we saw from Hader last year, where we were looking at two strikeouts an inning when Hader came out of the bullpen. That's what Edwin Diaz is doing this season. Of course, we saw we saw and we talked about Hader having the drop off uh, earlier this season when he got traded to the Padres. Edwin Diaz, of course, has just been dominant almost all season long. You mentioned it, the ERA, the FIP, all these numbers, just exceptional. So, I mean, it, it for me. When, we were, when I was looking at this list and I was looking at who I was going to pick, I mean, I, I kind of just, I knew about it right when I thought about ninth inning closer. It's got to be Diaz. I had to give other guys considerations. Helsley has been unbelievable. Uh, some of these other guys have been unbelievable as well. But, I mean, it's it's too easy this year right now that the ninth inning guy has to be Edwin Diaz. Uh, sound the trumpets. Um, when this guy comes out, I mean... It's game over. It's game over. Sit on the sit sit down on the bench, grab some pine. Um, you know, you are not even gonna make contact with this guy. So uh Edwin Diaz has to be the ninth inning guy for our all MLB team. Um and and you know, Alex, that kind of wraps it up. But of course, I mentioned to you, I wanted to say, um, I wanted to at least kind of include one more award, one more notification, or um one more honor, I would say, uh, for who we thought are all MLB breakout player of the year was this year whose stock has completely gone from zero to 100 all this season um i'll start it off but i think i i, I mean i'm i kind of think we have the same person alex and this is going to be uh just the biggest kudos to this guy but it's going to be the second baseman for the cleveland guardians andres jimenez how do you know <laughs> you know we've been talking about him for god knows how many months now but i mean you look at his war Fangraphs or baseball reference, it's up there with some of the greats. Um, I think it was about a seven war on the season if I had to make sure and check. But Yeah, he was six um, point something on Fangraphs. He, okay. I, I, I didn't mention him in the second base conversation because yes. I wanted to save him for this. I, I knew I'd have to talk about him a bit. Yes. Um, yeah, a 7.2 baseball reference war uh, for Andre Jimenez, but continue with, with kind of what you're saying about he, him. Yeah, he was traded in the Lindor trade from the Mets to the Guardians, Travis um, one of the most balanced trades, if I have to be honest, just because yes, yeah. the Mets got a superstar that they kind of needed uh, and then much needed depth for the Guardians. And then Rosario uh, at short, Jimenez at second, and, middle and, infield of really good talent. And of course, Jimenez becoming essentially a, um, I would say, mini superstar. Obviously, yes. he's still very early in his very, very young career. But um, I think just based on what he's done this season, uh, looking at his numbers, a 300 average, very good. 372 on base, very, very good. A 470 slugging, able to hit 17 home runs, steal 20 bags, plays very good defense. Um, looking like some of the best defensive uh, adjusted stats for Fangraphs here. Um, but yeah, I think there's nothing to even complain about. He just has had a really very solid year, um, still a very young career. Wasn't sure if you'd pick him just because like he was a he was a rated prospect. He did have value in the Mets system and they definitely wanted him in the trade when they got Lindor. So um I, I was actually gonna say this. I was gonna say him next guy up, I would actually say we just mentioned him, but Ryan Helsley. Ryan Helsley. Oh, for breakout? Opinion, yes. breakout. I mean, yes. I mean, I I we saw him, I think, in 2019 in the postseason. He had a decent postseason, but 
you know, you look at 2019, a 2.95 ERA in about 30, 37 innings pitch. So, of course, a pretty good sample size. Over a 5 ERA in 2020, over a 4.5 ERA in 2021. We don't really know where this guy's career is going this year. A 1.25 ERA, a better ERA than Edwin Diaz. Um, and actually more innings pitched than Edwin Diaz. So you look at that, a little bit less strikeouts, of course, but Ryan Helsley really has nailed down some of those games for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And that's the main reason why they're going to the uh, the playoffs as a division winner. I mean, they have literally been locked down come the bullpen time. Um, he's one guy I really wanted to point out too, if we didn't talk about Andres Jimenez, but I feel like we absolutely were going to point out Andres Jimenez. The war is just too good to ignore a 7.2 for baseball reference, Alex, like I mentioned, a 141 OPS plus as a second baseman. And of course, starting second baseman for the AL All-Star team. That was just kind of a, I mean, I think going into the season, Alex, we were looking at Marcus Simeon as like, okay, this guy's going to continue his dominance in Texas. Didn't hit a home run his first month. What's going on with this guy? Jimenez for the Guardians has just kind of taken over being all around good uh, second baseman, good speed, good defense, has some power and some pop in there as well. But, I mean, really, really impressed from what I saw this season in the deal, of course, with the Mets. Yeah, and I'll just add um, one more guy that I think deserves a nod here for, like, a breakout candidate is going to be Taylor Ward. We've talked about him a lot throughout the season. He started off incredibly, incredibly hot. First month of the season, he was, like, you know, top OPS in baseball kind of thing. Him and Trout were just like leading the leaderboards. Bonds numbers. <laughs> but and then and then Travis, he really he got hurt. He ran into the outfield wall on a catch. He hurt his shoulder. It sidelined him for a while. He he said in the interview that if he thinks it affected his swing. He thinks it affected his confidence at the plate. Um, there was like a two month span in summer, Travis, where he was batting like two hundred with yep. like a less than three hundred on base, uh, not hitting for much pop. Um, whatever happened, he fixed it. He worked through it. He either feels better now or fixed a mental block, made some tweaks because this month he's been absolutely mashing. He got his WRC plus Travis up to a 139. So um, if that's the number you want to look at for like how good of a hitter are you, that's the seventh best among qualified outfielders. So qualified means like no trout because he missed more time. Mm -hmm. But only Judge, Alvarez, Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, Julio, and Jeff McNeil had better WRC pluses um, amongst outfielders this season. Um, Actually, yeah, a a four Fangraphs war for Taylor Ward, which I would say would be – at least a little tick higher if he never got hurt. So yes, yeah. um, we're looking at almost like north of a five right now, probably. Right. For someone who Travis a couple years, I mean, he's in his late twenties. He's more of, in my mind, like a true breakout because Jimenez at least was a prospect of note. He was involved in a, in a blockbuster trade. Ward's been kind of sitting in our system for a while. Yes, yeah. Never a high, high ranked prospect. Um, kind of bounced between AAA and the MLB team the last several seasons. Um, when he came up, he had some good moments, but yes. never completely put everything together. Had a great spring training, had a great season this year. Um, have to give a nod to him. But Travis, I say we get into the nitty gritty of the awards. MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, AL and NL. Let's get it started with MVP, the big conversation to start it off, Travis. Quick side note, you guys don't know this, but we just took a quick break. Travis had to make a beer run. Very essential that you guys know the podcast experience. That's what it takes to put this episode 
over the top. Let's get into the MVP picks right now, Travis. We will start with the American League because I want to start with the American League. I will say my top three. You can say your top three, but then in reality, we're going to argue about the top two. Mm-hmm. My top three, number one, my MVP is Shohei Otani. Number two, picking Aaron Judge. Number three, Mike Trout. That is my top three for American League MVP voting. Travis, who do you got? Well, we have a very similar number three. Is it the same guy? <laughs> similar. Yes, same guy. Okay. Yes, Mike Trout is number three. Number two, Shohei Otani. Number one, Mr. Aaron Judge. Alex, I knew this was debate was going to be coming soon tonight we, when we recorded. We both knew. I think we both yes. have intentionally not talked about this. But, we're, but we are literally, we are doing what America is doing right now. Right. I mean, I think a lot of, it's interesting, a lot of people have their minds made up and they just don't even want to hear the other side. But now you have to listen to us, okay? Mm-hmm. You, you guys have made it this far in the episode. You have to listen to our arguments. I'll go ahead and start with my show A stuff, I guess. I might as well. Yep. I have a handful of stats here. Um, interesting ways to kind of put into context what he's doing. So I'm just going to read off a bunch of different tweets, a bunch of different stats that I found. And hopefully it helps you guys kind of understand the insanity of the season he's having 2022. Mm -hmm. First off, I'll note, people keep saying if he didn't do what he did last year, last year, it would make more people vote for him this year. And I think that that's true. And it's also very dumb because I don't think you should care about what someone did last year. That just means you're getting numb to the Shohei experience. And I will say, I truly believe the Shohei experience, the full package of what he brings to the table is more impressive, more valuable than the Judge 62 home run experience. I will go ahead and start bringing down some Shohei stats. Hitting this year, after the last game today, 3.9 Fangraphs war for hitting as a DH, 273 average, 356 on base, 519 slugging, not quite the offensive season he had last season, but of course the ball was a bit more dead this year. A 142 WRC plus on the season. Still, that number, Travis, is one of the tops in all of baseball. If I sort by WRC plus, the only players, actually, I have it here on 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 uh, base reference already. If I look at OPS plus, um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? If I look at OPS plus, the only American League guys above Otani are Altuve, Alvarez, and Judge. Otani is the fourth best OPS plus in the American League. You can rephrase that as he's the fourth best hitter in the American League this season. A lot of people say things like, if Otani is good at hitting and pitching every year, do we have to give him the MVP? No. He's not being a good hitter this year. He's being one of the four best hitters in his league this year. He is being one of the most valuable uh, bats of anyone in the American League. This is not just, oh, if he does both, does he get it automatically? That's not what he's doing. He's not doing both. He's doing both at an incredible rate. Um, 34 homers, 11 stolen bases. On the pitching side of things, 5.6 fan graphs war. 
Uh, record is five, 15 and 9. Don't really care about that. 166 innings pitched. Um, for those that don't know, today he eclipsed the 162 innings pitch threshold that makes you a qualified pitcher for the MLB season, for a full season. He is the first player ever by today's standards of what terms what determines a qualified pitcher and a qualified hitter to become qualified at pitching and hitting, which means he qualifies for the ERA title. He qualifies for the batting title. Um, he's not going to win either of those, but it just lets you know he pitched a complete season from both sides of the baseball. Um, the ERA was at a 2-3-3. The FIP is at a 2.4, so almost identical there. 219 strikeouts, only 44 walks. A huge step up from years past in those two numbers. Otani, I think there's only been two pitchers in, in a full season of MLB history to post a better ERA, whip, and strikeouts per nine than Otani. Otani had a 2.33 ERA, a 1.01 whip, and 11.9 strikeouts per nine. The only two pitchers to eclipse all three, all three of those numbers in the same season is Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez, both of them when they were like in their primes. I'm going to keep going. This has been a lot, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> this is uh, as of five days ago, so I'm not sure if it's still 100% accurate, but it gets the same message across no matter what. Shohei Otani, Travis, right uh, as of five days ago, he would be the ERA and the OPS plus leader for 21 of 30 teams in baseball. For 21 of 30 teams, over two-thirds of teams in baseball, if they if they had Otani, he would be their best pitcher and their best hitter. So that puts in the perspective that, you know, unless you're got, you know, unless you're a Yankee fan or maybe an Astros fan, um, Otani, if he was on your team, would be the best on both sides of the ball. AKA Otani is better than your favorite player. Another crazy stat that I found, Travis is Justin Verlander great season this year I'm gonna bring it back to his MVP season Justin Verlander won MVP posting a 2.4 ERA and a 172 ERA plus this year Otani 2.35 ERA that's better a 172 ERA plus that's the same more strikeouts per nine for Otani at 11.9 to Verlander's 9.0. And then also, um, Verlander slightly edges out in walks per nine and a slightly better whip. But in terms of limiting runs, Otani is essentially doing what Justin Verlander did when Verlander won the MVP. But Otani is not just a pitcher. Verlander won MVP just by pitching like Otani, but Otani is, of course, hitting as well. Another kind of fun stat, this is just from 2018 to present, so not just this season. The only four pitchers from 2018 to this season with in, in that whole span, you're below a three ERA and have more than 10 Ks per nine. The only four names are DeGrom, Verlander, Scherzer, and Otani. Hopefully this puts some perspective on the fact that Otani is truly one of the elite pitchers of this generation. Um, you know, of course, all that kind of culminating into this season. Um, that was a lot of stats to throw at you guys. Um, and I might have been sounding like a little all over the place. But I just kind of wanted to make the point that um, what he's doing on both sides of the ball is... Um, it can't be put into a number. The war has judge ahead. And I will say 
that judges both his war and his OPS plus, the WRC plus, all those numbers, they are historic figures. They are elite. Um, they th those numbers will live on leaderboards forever. I mean, not at the very very top, but you know, definitely towards the top, probably top. Um, I'm not hundred percent. I think it's the best Fangraphs war, excluding bonds. Um, I want to say since integration, that could be a little off, but um, it's definitely been super, super special from Judge. But I don't think War can properly encapsulate what Otani is doing. When Otani is is DHing Travis, people, I mean, DH is is supposed to be the easiest job in terms of like there's no defensive workload, right? But people don't realize when he's DHing, he's not just hitting. He's also a pitcher on their off days. And when pitchers have their off days, they have throwing regimens, I'm sure. They have to throw bullpens. They have to be communicating with their catchers. Otani has to be, he has to do so much more. It, it, Travis, it's like this. I think this is what Ward does to Otani. Imagine if you worked a 40-hour, let's say you worked an 80-hour work week, Monday through Friday, you did like double time. It sounds like hell. It sounds terrible, right? But... It sounds very difficult, which is what Otani is doing. But you would expect more pay for the extra hours. It's not that, like, you want the rate to go up from how much, like, it's called, I mean, the, people know overtime is, is a thing, overtime pay. Yeah. Um, if you got paid your same rate for the extra 40 hours you're putting in, um, that wouldn't seem very fair. You feel like you should be compensated more because you're doing more work in the same amount of time as other employees. What Otani is doing is he has to do the job of being one of the best hitters in baseball, and he has to do the job at the same time, not just when he pitches and hits on the same day. Every single day, Otani has to do a starting pitcher's regimen. Obviously, they're not doing exercises every single day. I'm, I'm sure, you know, you know, Michael Lorenzen and, and you know, uh, you know, Jose Suarez, whatever pitcher you want to think of, they're not doing starting pitcher jobs every single day. But Otani does have to keep up with the pitching coaches, with the hitting coaches. He is doing two jobs. And I think war, it just looks at the DH job and the pitching job and adds it up. But if I just took your pay for 40 hours and your pay for another 40 hours and added it up, you would say, what the heck? The second 40 hours, I'm doing two two jobs at once. I should get overtime pay. War doesn't give Otani <laughs> overtime pay. Does that does that make sense, Travis? It makes sense. And you've been rambling for about eight minutes. Are you, are, are you finished right now? Travis, I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> I will go ahead and throw it to you. But I think I just want to make, make it clear that I think being elite at pitching and hitting is something that, yes... If Otani does this every year, mm -hmm. then yes, he should be the MVP every year. I don't... I have sneeze coming. This is the worst time. Oh, it just stopped. It went away. Okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. But okay, I will I will end this rant, Travis, with my final note being being an elite hitter, an elite pitcher every single year. You're top five in both in the American League. I think you're top four in both yep. in hitting and pitching by most of the advanced stats. Um, some of the advanced stats are, are are nuts, Travis. It's it's yes. really it's really special. So, with that being said, I think that is more valuable than pretty much anything a position player can do, mm -hmm. unless you're maybe Barry Bonds putting up a 14 WAR you know season or whatever it might be. But yeah. go ahead, make your case for Judge. Hopefully, it doesn't take as long as mine. <laughs>
<laughs> well, you know what? Kudos to you. And I will say, Shohei Otani, you are one of a kind. But in 2022, the American League MVP is and will go to Aaron Judge. And I know East Coast is just applauding me right now, Alex. The last time a player had an OPS above a 1.110 was 2008. Albert Pujols, he won the MVP. The last time we had an OPS plus above 200, 2004, Barry Bonds, he won the MVP. The last time we had a position player with a war above a 10.5, Mookie Betts 2018, MVP. Barry Bonds 2004, I think it was about 11.8. MVPs both those years. The last time we had an offensive war above a 10 point, I'll say 10.1 because Mike Trout had one one year, did not win the MVP, had an year, an offensive war above a 10.2. It was Barry Bonds, 2004, the AL or the NL MVP. So it just brings all these stats into mind that all these milestones that one man has accomplished in one season. It's been done this century numerous amount of times. All those guys have won the MVP. Now, of course, the big question, the last time an American League hitter hit 61 home runs, he was the American League MVP. Aaron Judge did a little bit more than that. He hit 62 home runs, Alex. He hits, let's see, let me do the math quite right. He hit 16 more home runs than the next man up in Major League Baseball, Kyle Schwarber, who had 46 home runs this season, if I'm not mistaken. Let me go double check, of course, that stats right now. Kyle Schwarber, 46 home runs to Judges 62. That is the greatest gap of all time in the history of United States baseball, Major League Baseball history right there. So, of course, that's very special. In a season where the ball is considered dead, Judge breaks the American League single-season home run record. All these kind of stat lines, Alex, I'm, of course, pointing to. Judge can only control two things. That's hitting and that's defense. I guess you kind of look at base running as well. There are certain things he can control. He excels at all of those things. Shohei Otani, of course, controls pitching. He controls hitting. He controls base running. He controls a couple other things, of course, than Aaron Judge does. I'm not going to fault that for what Aaron Judge does. He is a traditional outfielder. He does basically what he's told, play right field, play center field, go out there, hit the middle of the order for this New York Yankees lineup, lead us to a division title. He did all that kind of stuff. And also, oh, he almost won the Triple Crown. I know, of course, Triple Crown in your eyes is not looked at as a great milestone or feat in my eyes I look at it as okay yes you're only looking at three stats when of course in my eyes you should be looking at a bunch of other stats but if you lead your league in American League uh, batting average if you lead the league in home runs and in RBIs that's putting together a very special season considering you are such a good contact hitter in getting base hits but also you are such a good power hitter and also driving runners in that also should translate to the on base and the slugging percentage, of course, being high in your league. All these factors weighing in, Alex, 
Judge had a historic season. I think that that should be looked at as a season that is unforgettable. I'm going to judge it as being a historic season in that it is the American League breaking home run record season. He captures my MVP. Shohei Otani, I don't really have anything to say other than that. He, in my opinion, if I had to make my top 100 players I would want on my team right now, and this might contradict what I'm kind of saying, he'd probably be higher than show than, than Aaron Judge. He does things that Aaron Judge can't do, but Aaron Judge can only do so much, and what he does, it is better than Shohei Otani has done this season, if that kind of makes sense, if you would agree. But we can all agree Aaron Judge can't pitch. Shohei Otani can pitch Cy Young level, especially this season. Aaron Judge can hit at an all-star or higher level. Shohei can hit at an all-star or higher level. Some of these things, it's a little unfair to kind of compare. I'm just looking at what Aaron Judge can control and the controllables, what he can control, and this season that he put together, unbelievable. I have to recognize him as the American League MVP. Um, I will say this, Alex. My vote might be different, and this is kind of weird to say because I don't like to judge it on just one plate appearance, one at bat, one home run. If he was stuck at 61, I think I'd be going somewhere else right now with this American League MVP hit. But interesting milestone, in my opinion, history, in my opinion, means a lot to me. No one's done this ever in the American League's history. And we, of course, are looking at the American League MVP, not the Major League Baseball MVP. So I will say... Aaron Judge does edge out Shohei Otani for the American League MVP. That was a probably what twenty minute discussion on I mean, the American I, League MVP. I mean, those are, so. those are the arguments that need to be made, Travis. Um, I'll respond a bit to some of the stuff you said. Um, I definitely agree with some of it. Obviously, not all of it because we have different picks here. Yep. I agree with the fact when you said that Aaron Judge will win MVP because he will. Uh, the voters, it's very easy. They're, they're some of the easiest people to predict, Travis. They like the, the storyline. They jump year to year to the new storyline. And this season, it's been all about Judge. Of course, every time Shoei takes the mound, the world watches. Yep. Um, but the home run chase Aaron Judge has been on has taken over. It's taken over the sports world in a way that we're just annoying people to no end. I can't tell you how many. 1998 almost, yeah. Well, well I, can't, I can't tell you how many people just this season, they're watching college football. Their team is on the goal line or whatever. And ESPN jumps to the Yankee game. And, and like I see these tweets, guys like, I don't care about baseball. Like it, <laughs> it, just, it just so, it just puts it into perspective yep. of how big a deal this was that mm-hmm. ESPN's like, we're going to make sure. It, if it does happen, he hits the home run. You guys can see it. So, but but the thing is, it's funny is that ESPN would not ju- and this is kind of testing to Shohei. They would not jump to a Shohei start if he was in the eighth inning in a perfect game. You know, you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, yeah. yeah. I I mean, there's been multiple bids for perfect games yep. that ESPN doesn't show for yep. any player. So, um, for that reason, I, I I get what you're saying completely. Um. I think that, like what you said, Judge has had a truly historic season. I think it's one of the great offensive seasons of all time. Not the greatest. Some people have jumped to saying it's the greatest. I think that's kind of silly. I think it's very silly, especially if you're considering uh, Bonds, obviously. Then if it's Bonds, then if if you... I mean, you shouldn't care. I mean, everyone cares about steroids differently. 
um, at the end of the day, Bonds' numbers are Bonds' numbers. You, it, it, there's no fudging that happened. That's just that's exactly what he put up. So, I think that um, there are a handful of seasons in baseball history. Bonds. You could look at Ruth. You could even look at guys like Prime Mantle, amongst other guys um, that had some really, really special offensive years. What Judge is doing right now or this season um, is among that level, but it's not the tip of the mountain by itself there's just no way you could i think there's no way i could hear that argument and and agree with that so one other fun note um that i have here um and it kind of ties into what you were saying about you think that if you got stuck at 61 you might not give him the kudos and for me personally it's just a difference of philosophy right with voting i do not care about the milestone for MVP voting for how historic the year is then yeah but I really just care about everything put together and so I'll just say this Roger Maris won the MVP in 1961 for hitting 61 home runs which not only led baseball but of course broke Babe Ruth's record which at the time was 60 at the time was the most home runs in MLB season ever Maris wins MVP he did not deserve MVP. I'm just going to go ahead and say that that's my opinion, obviously. He hit 269, 372 on base, 620 slugging, 993 OPS. All of those numbers were topped by Mantle. Mantle had the better batting average at 317, a way better on base at 448, a much better slugging at 687, which led all of baseball, a 1.135 OPS plus, plus, which didn't even lead baseball. But since he was playing center <laughs> field, he did lead all of baseball in baseball reference war. Um, I think Mantle's season that year is completely um, swept under the rug because... 61 home runs were for Maris, even though Mantle hit 54 and missed games due to injury. Maybe he could have gotten there two or gotten higher if he did not get hurt. But uh, long story short, Travis, um, I think a milestone alone for me does not do it. Um, because as you can see in 1961, Mantle had the 10.4 war, while Maris had a 6.9. What I will say is Judge leads baseball in war by a gap this year. So it's not the same conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not the same as that year. Because if Maris did lead in war, then I would get it to some degree. But um, Judge this year, of course, has the milestone, plus leads in war, plus leads in OPS, OPS plus all those stats. So because of that, I do understand the argument for him. I do agree that i believe he will win the award but i do not personally think i could pick um this season as incredible as it's been by judge over what otani does um doing the double duty uh at such a high level at pretty much your top four in both pitching and hitting in the american league i really don't understand how a position player can possibly compete and I like what you said sometimes about you'll, you'll say things like, like it's not fair to judge that, you know, judge can't pitch, but in reality for MVP, I just care about who is the most valuable mm -hmm. and I don't care if it's not fair. Yep. What Otani is doing is putting up such an insane level of value that if he is top five in pitching and hitting in a given year for his league, then that's MVP. 
And if you say he well, he's going to win it every year, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like he deserves it every single year. And you really can't change my mind until somebody, um, I mean, judges offensive season is almost as good as it gets, right? It's almost as good as it gets for our lifetime outside of steroids. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if anything can honestly top if Otani is going to be a top four OPS plus a top four ERA plus elite advanced stats across the board. I'll get into more some of the advanced pitching stats for Otani when we get to the Cyan conversation because he's in that mix. Um, but Travis, I just think that what Otani has done, um, there's no comparison. There's no equal. And 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 my last my last note before we move on here. Um, a really funny conversation that was had by, I believe, Dan Plesak. I forget what game that they were announcing, but I saw this quote on, uh, I saw it on Twitter and it was really, really funny. I'm trying to find it right now. I didn't have it saved. So this is um, on MLB Tonight. Yes. Um, Greg Amsinger says, does Shohei Otani have any chance at the AL MVP? Dan Plesak says, no. Aaron Judge has done something that no one has done in 61 years. Then Alex Avila says, Shohei Otani has done something that nobody has done ever. And Plesak said, that's true. <laughs> so I, I think I think that's a funny perspective. Yes. Every time I hear somebody say that Judge is doing something that hasn't been done in X amount of time, I'll just say, well, first of all, Bonds did do it. but And, and, and of course, Sosa and, of course, Maguire. Yep. But if you want to take on steroids, then then that's, that's your prerogative. Um, I just think that people don't understand... Not only is what Otani is doing, is it one of a kind, it is one of a kind and elite. It's not only rare, but it's rare to the highest level. So I'm done talking about Otani, except for when we get to the I'm going to talk about him some more. But anything to add or should we move on? One thing to add, you don't think uh, Norm Cash should have won that 1961 MVP? No, it was, it was <laughs> I, think, I think possibly the best off- offensive season of that uh of that season of 1961, I do know what you're talking about. Um, and I think Cash is someone who, you know, Charles, that's a 201 OPS plus in 61 for Norm Cash. It is truly an incredible feat. I think if I had an MVP vote, I would have gone Mantle 1, Cash 2, yep. Cash over um, Maris and over whoever got third. 41 home runs for Cash, but I think the big problem for him is he's a first baseman. Hard to get a lot of war, but still, he was over a nine war for a first baseman is a really big number, much higher yep. than like Goldsmith this year. Uh, no one's really close to that except for Judge and Otani this year. So, Norm Rush, I wish you could hear this, but you know, you passed away in 1986, but you know, maybe his grandkids is some kid, <laughs> you know, checking out our Instagram page, but just saw that right now. Of course, I wanted to give that shout out, but I mean, Alex, I mean, like I mentioned, I think earlier on, I don't know if we were recording or I was just talking to you, um, but this is one of the, you know, we talk about so many MVP voting seasons where it just gets down to, okay, you want to look at this, you want to look at this. I truly believe this MVP voting season will be the hardest for every MLB voter out there for the American League. Maybe not the East Coast, maybe not the New York based writers but i mean when you look at all of things that you have to look at uh you know like i mentioned aaron judge shouldn't be penalized for not being able to pitch but shohei otani should also be rewarded for being able to pitch you know we have not seen this and you know what sucks we said it i think in the first episode of this uh current mlb season shohei otani would not win the mvp 
if he had a similar or slightly better season than last season. And which kind of sucks is that that's going to basically uh, penalize him from winning the MVP this season, which makes no sense. You know what I mean? Because why are we looking at last year's MVP? But it's all about what is going on today. What's new? What's the norm? What's going on in MLB? MLB is clearly favoritizing Aaron Judge right now, like you mentioned, they are currently breaking away from college football, from NFL games to see, will he hit number 62? So there's a lot of media bias as well in that. But um, completely agree that they really care about the narrative. They get bored of what happened last season. Um, They get impressed and then they move on. Yes. And they moved on from Otani. Obviously, the media still loves him. And every time he takes the mound, like I said, it's all eyes on him. But um, in terms of the MVP, it is about the narrative. Yep. The Yankees have been a great team all year. People say that Judge, like, I'll say one more note, Travis. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna go down so easily. Judge, people say that Judge like clawed them to the like to stay in the race because the Yankees were mm-hmm. like a below 500 for like a couple months yeah. after second the All Star break. Not good. Um, and they said that Judge, who hit amazing in the second half, they say he like kept them afloat or whatever. I completely disagree mm-hmm. judge has judge was amazing but he also has very good teammates he has better teammates than what otani has had of course otani has mike trout but mike trout's been in and out all season but um if you look at supporting cast the pitching staff the bullpen the position players the yankees have a much deeper team a better team that is why they stayed afloat because first they had a great first half to get a nice lead in the division and then their second half was good enough because judge got help from teammates judge alone did not carry anybody no one player can carry anything if you put otani on the yankees instead of judge in the second half yankees would still be a playoff team obviously and if you put judge on the angels with trout but with the weaker supporting cast they still would miss the playoffs it's pretty obvious, and mm-hmm. if you disagree, I think that you are do, wrong. I think you're wrong. I think <laughs> you don't understand how little impact only one player alone has mm-hmm. on a win-loss record. Because Travis, this season, two of our top three MVP vote getters are on the same team, and that team is way below 500. So that goes to show that just having elite performers is not enough. You need the depth. Yeah, um, that's what keeps the team afloat. Not just one player having a historic run. So. Let's move on, yeah? Yeah, I mean, let's spare the listeners a four-hour episode. National uh, League time. <laughs> I'll start off with this one, Alex. Um, my National League MVP, and I'll go from three down to one. Number three, I have Manny Machado. Number two, I have Nolan Arenado. Very similar, of course, to my all-third baseman, all-MLB. Number one, I have Paul Goldschmidt. My case for Paul Goldschmidt, second baseball reference war. The stat lines are pretty much, uh, you know, he is basically beating every NL guy on all stat lines when you look at it on baseball reference. He has had an absolute complete season, is leading NL in slugging, is leading NL in OPS, is leading NL in OPS+. Plus. And honestly, I think right now we're looking at the on-base. I think he's about three points, three points behind Freddie Freeman in on-base percentage. So, of course, he is, uh, is second in on-base and third in batting average so of course having an absolute great line when it comes to the slashing 35 home runs 115 rbis the team is good the team is doing great um and then of course second in national league in baseball reference were paul goldschmidt my nl mvp uh interested to see where you got 
I'll go three to one as well, just like you, to keep that suspense nice and high. Number three, I go Paul Goldschmidt. <laughs> Number two, I go Nolan Arenado. Number one, I go Manny Machado. So same three. I'm glad we kind of agree on the trio there. Uh, I think Goldschmidt will win the award. I think that this might be the top three by yes. the MLB. Yep. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not certain of it, but I think Only it's, guy I'm saying is Betts or Freeman is higher than Machado just because I think voters have a little bit of they a— They see that Dodgers record. It's they see the gonna, Dodgers, yep, and they see how good— uh, Mookie had some months this year that were incredible, and I think the voters just have a sour taste with Machado just because they just— he might not be a guy they like. You know, that, he has that's an the attitude. only thing I want to say. He has an attitude sometimes, which in my mind, I'll almost take that over a guy who's not going to do anything. But um, I think that Machado—I'm not saying that about Betts. Yeah. Betts has an attitude too, which is great. But um, I think that Machado—let's uh, just look at the numbers here. Um, I guess I'll make the case for him being above Goldschmidt. Uh, both played, both were, uh, you know, horses. 149 yep. games played for Machado, 151 for Goldschmidt. So almost the same, almost the same plate appearances. Uh, three more home runs for Goldschmidt. Uh, walk, walking a bit more is Goldschmidt. Um, Goldschmidt's got the the batting stats across the board. Um, 151 WRC plus for Machado, 178 for Goldschmidt. So Goldschmidt's been the better hitter. I cannot dispute that. Um, Machado has been surprisingly a decent base runner this year with nine steals, seven for Goldschmidt still, but uh, better base running numbers by Fangraphs uh, is Machado. Uh, and then the defense um, is going to be night and day, of course. Uh, the value that a first baseman can provide is just not the same as the value a third baseman can provide um, just by all the numbers, right? I think that um, almost one way I could frame this is who's been more valuable, Arenado or Goldschmidt? Just because if I can if I can win that argument, they're saying Arenado's better. Then I already have Machado above Arenado by by you know 0.1%. Mm-hmm. So I could easily make the case for Machado, Arenado, Goldschmidt. But anyways, Goldie is three for me um, because of that first baseman. He actually is playing a pretty. I mean, according to Fangraphs defense, um, a pretty poor first base this year. Uh, significantly lower uh, on that number than Freeman, who is obviously same position, um, same amount of games almost, uh, you know, same national league and the, 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 the defense uh, defensive difference is pretty big. Goldschmidt um, is down in the dumps in that regard, but obviously the war is very good for Goldschmidt. Uh, like I said earlier, when I was talking about third baseman, Machado does lead NL in Fangraph's war, but it's by such a small margin above Arenado. I think that the third basemen uh, that we discussed earlier are just too elite at defense that that brings so much value at the hot corner that a first baseman cannot compare with, especially one that had a weak defensive season by Fangraph's defense as Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt's bat was incredible. Um, I think there may have been... Um, I mean, he just kind of was the hot hitter, right? And I think that it's not super sustainable what he did in terms of his production. Um, but he did hit the ball very well, obviously. So I want to give him a uh, big props. You know, some people might some, some people think might think that me not picking him for my MVP is like a slight. Being top three is very impressive. So yeah, um, that's my top three. Uh, we have the same three, so not much to argue about, really. Not much to argue, and I will say, to spare the listeners some time, we won't, of course, get the deep dive as Shohei and a judge, just because that's not what's the hot topic right now. But 
Um, respectable. I mean, at least we both have, uh, I will say both starting with Nolan Arenado. He is right now, both of us think a top two vote getter, um, an absolute impressive season from Arenado. I think that might be the best, um, MVP finish of his career. I don't know if he's ever finished top two. I think he might've finished top three. I know he's finished top five before in his career, but Nolan Arenado, again, having a career year, which is very special to think about. All those special years he had in Colorado, he's even doing it better in St. Louis. So kudos to that. Real quick, we'll do this quickly. If you had to guess, I would guess Goldschmidt wins it. I'm not sure. But if you had to guess... 95% he's going to win it. If you had to guess who's second, who would you pick? Arenado. You think so? Yeah. I think so too. And I think that... um, I think Goldschmidt, Arenado easily, which is kind of crazy. Two teammates. I was going to say, it's like... (laughs) With very similar war... Playing the corners. Yeah, it's very it's very odd, and I think that Ot- oh, sorry, uh, Machado. I'm still talking about Otani. <laughs> I think I think that Machado. Um, you know, this is not really a factor for me. I try to not think about you know the team the team aspect of it because it's an individual award. I like yep. to keep it that way. But the fact that Machado, his team, I think they're worse than the Cardinals. Yes. But, um, the win total is not that far off. It's and not. Yep. It's almost like uh, I would have said like maybe Machado and Tatis could equal Arenado and Goldschmidt, but no, Machado is by himself. Obviously, Soto was added to the yeah. team. He did not perform that well um, by his own standards. Still, mm-hmm. you know, All Star kind of production, but just very interesting. I'll yeah. say that a Machado. It really felt like at the beginning of the season. I think I said that you know I bet on him to win MVP mm-hmm. in Vegas, and I don't think he will. But he definitely impressed me beyond words because I think that to do what he did um, with Tatis never coming back and getting that team to the playoffs is a truly impressive milestone. I think yeah. that's that that he he in a way dragged his team to the playoffs yeah. more so than Judge because you know the Yankees actually are pretty stacked. But yeah, and eighty nine wins to the Padres to the ninety three wins of the Cardinals, so four. Uh, yeah. a four difference on those win totals right there. And honestly, Alex, I'll say this. I don't, I would bet money that Machado will not even finish in the top three. When they do the selection process, really? I think they will go with Arenado, Goldschmidt. And I honestly think they're going to go with a Dodger. I think they're going to go with Betts or Freeman just because they're so, the win totals are so high this year, which of course we don't want to go with, but I would definitely bet Machado won't even be in that NL MVP showcase showing where they do. I think they, they show the three finalists and of course they give the award. And then of course they interview the award winner like they did um, last year with that, with the, actually I think Joe Hayotani was actually participating. I think he said, I'm, I'm focused on 2022. He's like, like, he's like I'm out. <laughs> but, but Travis, w- w- when they do that broadcast, we will cover it. Oh, and, easily. If, and if Machado is not top three, I will throw a fit. So, 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 so we'll say that for the off season or when, anyways, they but that. yeah, so NL MVP, that's who we got. We, uh, of course, very uh, three, same guys, just different orders. Um, Alex, let's now move American league. Cy young finishes. I'll let you go first this time. Uh, give me your three through one for you got for American league. Okay. I'll go three up to one, just like the switch. I was like to do things and I, and, I, and I like it. I respect the it. The suspense is nice. You know, I, I don't want to know who you have one and then, it's, you know, I'll, I won't pay attention to two and three. So. You're just going to yeah. zone out. Yes. So I'll, I'll start off with three. I go Justin Verlander. <laughs> oh man. All right. We'll have a good conversation. Number two, I go a guy who you surely don't have. I have Kevin Gosman. Number one, 
I of course go Shohei Otani. He's the MVP, right? He's got to win Cy Young, right? If well, also put it this way: if I have him as Cy Young, how can you not give MVP yeah. to a guy who wins Cy Young and then also goes on a hit? Most Cy Young winners are going to be, of course, top ten in MVP without the hitting. Yeah, without and the, the hitting, and, and then yeah, he's yeah. also hitting so, yeah, like a yeah, maniac. Yeah. Go ahead and give me your three, and then we can chat. So for me, I have, of course, very similar to my starting five for rotation, I have Shohei finishing third, I have Dylan Cease finishing second, and I have Justin Verlander finishing first, Alex. Um, we both have Verlander different orders, and of course, that kind of is two uh, two completely different spots in our rotations. I have him one, you have him three. Um Flip them with Otani. I, I, yeah, I, I guess let's start with that. Give me why Shohei won Verlander, Verlander 3, and I'll give you, of course, why I think Shh. other way around. Sounds good. So like I said for my all-MLB starting rotation, I'm just not really caring about ERA right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm done with it uh, <laughs> is the way I view it. So so I, uh, the stats I'm really focusing on are things like strikeout percent, walk percent, like stuff that you can really control i like fip a good amount um verlander does lead him in Fangraphs war that's mainly due to the few more innings pitched by verlander but um i'll get into some of the advanced stuff that really wows me in terms of shohei otani and what makes him stand out as the best pitcher in the american league for me this season let me ask you this first question does shohei win the cy young no 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 no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I told this to my grandpa today. He, I was telling him, he asked me, I think, what do I think about the awards? And I told him, I'll t- I, first I said, listen to the podcast. <laughs> but, 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 but what I actually said was, um, Judge will win and Verlander will win, but I'm going to make cases for Otani mm-hmm, is what I told mm-hmm. him. And so this is what I would vote for. And this is not based on my, like I said, like I said, like I didn't put Cease and I yeah. like Cease. Yeah. So as knows, this is not what my heart says. This is what I really think based on the numbers I'm looking at here, numbers I care about. So, um, so I'm looking at here at the top FIP leaderboards. The only guy above Otani is Gosman for the American League. If I look at expected FIP, which is a more advanced version that's trying to guess what someone's FIP will be essentially, Otani is second behind McClanahan. If I look at the stat called Sierra, which is, I think, the most accurate ERA predictor that I know of, Otani leads all of baseball in that stat. Strikeout percent minus walk percent. Shohei Otani leads all of baseball. 33% uh, of batters he faces, he strikes out. That's only behind Carlos Rodon, of course. He leads, Otani leads American League. Um, the strike, uh, yeah, I, overall, the numbers, Travis, are just phenomenal across the board. The ERA, which is that, like I said, I'm not even looking at. Even if you cared about ERA a ton, he still is uh, sixth in all of baseball. For American League, he's only behind Manoa, Cease, and Verlander. Um, so there's absolutely no debate that he's not like a top five, top three guy. For me, what makes him one is those advanced stats. The strikeouts are on another level. He's doing a much better job this year at preventing walks than some of the years past. And some of the advanced numbers like FIP, which really kind of take defense out of the equation, kind of show that maybe some other guys like Verlander might be getting some more luck with the balls in play, maybe some help from the defense. Um, the FIP by Verlander is worse than Otani. I mean, every step that I just said, Verlander is behind Otani. So um, that that's my reasoning. I, I'm really just not looking at ERA. 
Verlander's ERA is absolutely incredible. Um, it's the hallmark of and a very impressive season that we just saw. But in terms of who do I think pitched better, um, I'm going to go with the stats that, that I really think describe a pitcher for what they can control, which is, you know, um, them versus the batter. What was the outcomes? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, not, not even what the outcomes. It was just how did the pitcher do? And I think Otani um, is the best pitcher in the American League. Um, also, I'll say this, and this is not what this is not what Cy Young means, but just a, a fun question. If you had a must-win game tomorrow and everyone was full stamina in the American League, who would you pick to start? And I think I know the answer. I think you'd pick Shoei Otani. That's a good argument. Um, and, and, and that's not what the, that's not what Cy Young means. Cy Young is not like no, who's the course, pick one game. Course. It is based on the body of work. Of course. Um, but that's just a fun thought experiment that came to my mind as I said it because Verlander had a special season. I don't think the 1.75 ERA is who he truly is. Yeah. He is an all-time great. He is a inner circle Hall of Famer, at least a Hall of Famer. I'll just at yeah. least put it there. Um, but the 1. 1.75 ERA is not sustainable, obviously. Um, a great year from him, but he gets my third spot. And I'll say this, Verlander, um, and I was going to bring this up later on the episode for the playoff preview, but um, I, I mean, like I said, I, he is not a postseason guy. We have seen his numbers kind of elevate in the postseason. Interesting to see how he does this time around in the postseason if, of course, he cannot have a successful, uh, you know, a successful in terms of uh, our our criteria, the writers' criteria, you know, baseball fans in general criteria. In the in the past, Verlander, we've seen in the postseason, ERA has been north of three. You know, we've seen him kind of crumble sometimes in some big games. So um, interesting to say that. But Verlander, of course, 2022, he is my Cy Young, Alex. And I think the big, of course, area I'm going to look at, and I know you, of course, did not want to look at, um, ERA, um, 1.75. It is the lowest American League ERA since I think it was Pedro Martinez and I think it's 2000 Pedro Martinez who had a 1.74 actually to be exact Verlander had a 1.749 and Pedro had a 1.742 so of course the numbers round out Pedro had of course one um one point better ERA than Verlander uh, what was special is last night I saw Verlander basically take a, uh, I think it was an, it was definitely a no hitter. I don't know if it was a perfect game. It was a no hitter into the um, into the sixth inning. Of course, only got five innings of work done. But it's just interesting to see if Verlander would have went out there one more inning, if Dusty would have let him go one more inning, he most likely would have had the ERA uh, American League. ERA title for the 21st century, which we have not seen since, of course. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of who would have had that uh, American League title. The NL has had power uh, pitching uh, in its history. The American League has not, but just very impressive numbers by Justin Verlander. Um, Alex, I will say, I, I mean, I, I think that with all the quality of work, the um, the whip, the FIP, the ERA, all these stat line numbers just being so impressive. Right now, the best ERA plus in Major League Baseball, the best whip in Major League Baseball, and the best hits per nine in Major League, I'm sorry, in the American League at least, uh, ERA, best ERA in Major League Baseball. And then, of course, um, winning percentage wins. We don't care about that much as well, but just kind of an extra cherry on top, 18 wins for him on the season. That leads the American League. 
Uh, I think I went with this feeling. With this pick, I went with who do I think is going to win? It's Justin Verlander. And honestly, I do kind of think he deserves it this season with all these stat lines. Uh, you mentioned with Shohei Otani. Um, I think with Shohei, he had one of the... In September, I think Shohei honestly created himself to have this discussion Earlier on the season, maybe not so much. There are still some starts of Shohei Otani that I've, I've seen throughout the season that have been kind of, I, w I won't say questionable, but just have been, uh, they, they just have not been as the level of Justin Verlander-esque or like you meant, Gosman-esque, where it's just pure dominance performance night in, night out. I've seen some Shohei starts this season that, of course, can kind of go back and you can diagnose as, okay, you know, could not find the zone this night. He had five walks this night. You know, Justin Verlander had 29 walks the entire seasons or something like that. So um, I, I think with this award, Justin Verlander is rightfully so the winner. Um, Shohei Otani is a top three guy for this award, but I will point out Verlander, what he's done for this team and just the kind of the comeback he's been on. Again, I don't want to get into narrative. Justin Verlander, though, wins the narrative because of being a guy that literally Oh, man. Old man, one game started in 2020, came out of the game, did not pitch again in 2020, did not pitch at all in 2021. We all kind of wrote him off. I think he signed, what, a one-year deal with the Houston Astros this season, or maybe a two-year deal. It's uh, with a player option. Okay. So he's probably going to opt out and get more money. He will opt out and get more money. Because he it's, can. But it's just very interesting that he literally signed a one-year guaranteed with an option. And then, of course, he just provides this season where he was like, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm an old man, but I definitely think I can get some good money for the next couple of years. Almost, I, I mean, I won't say Scherzer type money, but at the same time, I would be not, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he got Scherzer type money for a three year deal and a hundred million dollars or something like that, or even like one hundred and twenty million dollars, just because some people might be desperate to give this guy three years of dominance that he's been pitching, at least for the last couple of years. But interesting to say he has won the Cy Young. His last full season he pitched, he won the Cy Young. This season is much, much better. Much, much better than even his MVP season in 2011. So that's the one thing I will point out as well. It's the best pitching season I think we can definitely say we've seen from Justin Verlander. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say I disagree. Really? Okay. Yeah, and I, I'm my base reference is not loading right now. Okay. So. I can't really back up my claim. Then I guess. I guess. Oh uh, yeah. I think I just Case lose. The, I think I just lose the argument. But I guess my my only point is. What I think, season do you think? Um, I don't know. I think 2019 was really impressive, and the ERAs just look really different because that was the peak of hitting, mm -hmm. and this is the peak of pitching almost right now in terms of like the ERA numbers. Um, and what's just, crazy too is the ERA plus is about 40 points less. In in um in 2019, it is a 179 ERA plus, and this year it's 122. Or I'm sorry, 220. So about Got 80 it. points difference better this season. Yeah. So I mean, 40. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, 40. So yeah, I I think. Um, why is my my computer's bugging? Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, I think that Verlander. Um, I don't know. I think that there's. I think there's more to it than just the ERA, which ERA plus is very valuable, but it still is based off ERA. Mm -hmm. And there's just, of course, like I've been mentioning over and over again, there's just other stats that I think are just as valuable, if not more valuable. Um, so this season in Fangraphs WAR, um, I think part of this is because of innings pitched. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe on a rate basis, you could say this is his best season. But I think um, the 175 innings pitch does not compare to prime Detroit. And one of his lowest innings pitch seasons of, of his career. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm looking at a 6.1 Fangraphs war this season. And in 2009, he had an 8.4 Fangraphs war. Then the next three straight seasons all above 6.1 so 6.7 6.5 6.9 so i think that there's just he had this prime where maybe the rate based stats were worse but he was pitching a lot more and in a more offensive era and because of that the eras are worse but i think the production was probably better but i will say i can see the argument on a rate basis um like you said the era plus is a good point i think even if if you look at like fip plus or fip minus or whatever other stats i think those will say this season on a rate basis might be his best but um the innings pitch is a bit lower the innings pitch is not that much above otani who only gets the throw once every six starts and that's something we didn't mention in the conversation that otani doesn't take days off which is it's just so incredible we can just we can just count him to be in the lineup every day yes but but uh let's 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 stop uh, beating the dead horse travis um, One thing I will know, Alex, 2019 Verlander, 300 strikeouts this season, 185 strikeouts. So literally was a juggernaut striking out players that season. But he gave up 36 home runs that year. That was the most of his career in a single season. So that's one lesson to point out in 2019 that he gave up a lot of home runs, but he struck people out. That's probably why the ERA was so high. Interesting. Um, I already went into Gosman on the previous conversation mm-hmm. about uh, all MLB and you also went into cease. So should we just move on to NL? Or? I would, I would love nothing more. Yeah. Well, yep. Let's go to NL. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go three, two, one. Okay. And then you can do the same and we can chat and we can kind of, of course, compare what our, I, I'm pretty sure our, our all MLB teams will be kind of similar in a way that, you know, with our rotations that you're going to say right now, I'm assuming, but go ahead and give me your three. Right. Right. Um, so, my three is someone who I left off the top five. Okay. Um, it's Sandy Alcantara. Okay. My number two is Carlos Rodon. And my number one is Aaron Nola. Like I've said with pretty much all my picks so far, Travis, I think Sandy will win. Actually, yeah. I know Sandy will win. Sandy yeah. will win, right? <laughs> I, like, yes. Yeah. Like if you went to Vegas and you try to bet on Sandy, they probably wouldn't take your money because it's just too... It's they, like, they yeah. give you They give you a penny back, right? Yeah. Like the odds Minus are not... Minus 1,500 or something like that, yeah. The, yeah. the odds, uh, yeah, probably probably 15 million but um but yeah i think that um based on the stats i've i mean i already talked about all three of these guys to some extent so i don't want to go too deep into the into the details but i think that like i said nola does any does any voter travis does any voter of i mean because you know they after they announce the winners they release like who voted for who and like it shows like everyone's like top 10 mvp guys they voted for will any voter pick nola to win Cy Young, probably not, right? Big zero, Z- zero. Yeah. Yep. Just me. Yeah, <laughs> just me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but, Travis, I I truly I truly believe in my heart, in my soul, that Nola completely. First of all, he gets screwed by um, the defense behind him, and it's not. I'm not here to bash Philly's defense solely, but I think that the production of what he could control has been truly elite this season. Uh, I think that um, so many of the advanced numbers really like him. Um, I think that um, what he was able to do to get strikeouts and also limit walks is truly elite. Um, Honestly, for me, the real conversation was between him and Rodon. Both of them were super special this year. Rodon, a bit better at striking guys out, but walked quite a bit more than Nola. Um, 
you know, the strikeouts per nine for Rodon were super nuts. Um, I think the best in the league or maybe yeah. right there was Cease. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually better than Cease, yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think the FIPS, those are the two like FIP kings of the NL are Rodon and Nola. Um, and then, yeah, I think that just the ERA does both of those guys a disservice. I think that the mm-hmm. ERA... Um, it just doesn't add up um, to what they actually did pr- produce. So yep. um, I'll, I'll let you talk about Sandy if you'd like, but I think we all get it, right? We yep. get he's the ERA guy this season. He's the workhorse guy this season. He's going to win the award. I just think the strikeouts are a bit low and the walks aren't even as low as a guy like Nola. Um, I think that Sandy, you know, produced a lot of weak contact or he produced a lot of, I'll say, balls in play more so than nola mm-hmm. but i can even sort i can even sort fan graphs by the like average velocity you allowed exit velocity and nola's average hit the ball in play was 92.9 miles an hour whereas alcantara was 98 so even sandy's getting hit harder but maybe more ground balls definitely more ground balls which, harder. which probably let's see there's lots of, lots of sinkers it's like his, <laughs> his, his sinkers is pitch but anyways um, I'm going to stop talking about this. I just wanted to say that I think that there's more to it than ERA. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. I made that point mm-hmm. too many times. So, and, and, and I mean, definitely else? a good points you made so far this episode, but, uh, for my three, um, we have a similar, we, we actually the same number two again, like we had Arenado, but Carlos Rodon is my number two. My number three is Max Freed of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, number two, like I said, Carlos Rodon, number one, Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins. I made my point with Sandy, workhorse, low ERA. Um, I know the advanced stats might sometimes not like him. I made my case with, I think Mattingly had to almost leave him out there for the fourth time around for some of these lineups. Good point. Just because they have nobody else to go to. So that's, of course, my case. And that's one point you had to look at sometimes with some of these cases. you might you might have literally minor leaguers out there trying to finish games and it's like no 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 we got to leave our stud started pitcher in so that's my case with sandy he'll be number one i guarantee he'll be the cy young winner for the nl he'll of course uh capture that one easily number two very interesting i of course we both agree rodon like i mentioned strikeouts are the name of the game for him he leads mlb and i think strikeouts per nine and i think it's fip right it's a 2.25 fip for Carlos Rodon. So of course, looking at his numbers, I think he has to easily get the number two spot. Number three, I went Max Freed. Max Freed, for some reason, every single year, Alex is always top three, top five in MLB war for pitchers. For some weird reason, he always is capturing such a great war number this season. He is at a 5.9. And then looking at kind of the stats, he's not leading in any stat line in the NL or the MLB, but that's okay. I still look at the 2.48 ERA. He has 185 innings pitched, so of course, almost capturing the 200 inning mark, 170 strikeouts. Um, Not not the strikeouts, Brian, I think I would like to have him at. It's an 8.3, but the FIP is really nice at a 2.70. That's a better fifth than a lot of other guys in MLB. And then, of course, a whip just north of a one. Um, he does give up some decently good amount of hits and, of course, walks about... It looks like he walked about 32 people this year. That's looking at about um, 1.6 walks per nine, so almost two walks per nine innings. So, uh, And then, of course, 7.6 hits per nine. So you're almost looking at... Uh, you know, like I mentioned, the whip, it's pretty much equating that you're almost looking at one walk hit 
per inning pitch or something like that for Max Fried. But I think what he's done so far, again, being a workhorse and the war numbers really like him every single year. I had to include him in my top three. He is number three for me. That's kind of how I went in deciding this one. But I mean, I, I guess I've kind of really made my case with Alcantara. Um, I have him as my Cy Young. I think he'll win the Cy Young. Um, I think that a lot of vote getters like that workhorse aspect and also being, you know, so many complete games. And, you know, it might not matter what team you're on, but uh, if you can provide these kind of stat lines that Alcantara is providing, I think that you can get it. So that's kind of my case for the NL Cy Young. Um, but again, completely understand why you pick Nola when looking at defense aspect as, you know, he will literally have to work um for better off terms he'll have to work his ass off to literally make sure that his team can get a win and that his era is somewhat reasonable but he of course will get punished by his defense for making some of those uh lazy plays or you know just plays that should have been made 25 20 other ball cubs probably could have made that play a lot lot easier just from what we've seen and we've seen it with the eye test alex i've seen the philadelphia phillies defense before they got brandon marsh before they got made some adjustments it was just not pretty. I mean, we saw Bohm throwing balls way over Reese Hoskins' head. We saw corner outfielders just making blunders. We saw D.D. Gorgeous not making the right plays. It's, That's painful for a pitcher. There's, there's so much, like, uh, deep analytics that can go into defense that, like, you know, Schwarber and, and Castellanos, they might avoid a lot of errors maybe, but, like, if you watch the games, like there's just so many balls yes. that like a better defender would have got to that they just don't have the jump. They don't have the speed. They don't have the um the like diving ability just all of it in the of reaction tyson. time yep yep so all that kind of culminates into bad defense it's not just about errors which i think they do they're towards the top of the error leaderboard but yep. but it's not all about that yep. there's just so much more that goes into it um let's move on we 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 covered that for a we good cover the two big awards now we'll cover the two kind of i always like to think that the minor awards that you know don't get that much attention but you know rightfully so they deserve some credit here so rookie of the year american league i'll go three two one mm-hmm. Um, it's really about two and one. We all know um, the two big names. Uh, I have Stephen Kwan in the third spot. My second spot is going to Julio Rodriguez. My first spot is going to Adley Rushman. Give me your three. Very interesting. Yes. Yeah, so number three, I went with Jeremy Pena, uh, the Houston Astros. Number two, Adley Rushman. And number one, of course, Julio Rodriguez. Another thing, Alex, I know you'll agree with me. Julio won the award. Uh, Julio will... Will, Almost certainly win the award. Julio yeah. will probably take home ninety five percent of the votes for the American League MVP or and, the ro- Rookie of the Year. And 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 yeah, part of that is the it, hype. Is the hype very? And 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 I will say when I say that, I'm not trying to discredit him because he does deserve all yep. the praise, all the credit. But if the Mariners had missed the playoffs and the Orioles had snuck in, it could be looking a little bit different. It could be interesting. Yep. I will say that just based on this season, the numbers. Adley has passed Julio in Fangraphs war, which is really incredible based on the fact that he got called up midseason, whereas Julio was there since day one. Um, about 19 fewer games played for Adley, uh, almost 100 less PAs and still passed them in Fangraphs war. Obviously, I think baseball reference war will probably disagree. Um, that's just the name of the game. But yeah, a worse average for Adley, but a better on base and a worse slugging julio has been uh, a better hitter this season i will definitely say and is elite in the stolen bases category and plays elite center field defense i don't want to take anything away from him but i think adley is uh 
not I don't think he's already the best hitting catcher, but he's definitely in the top tier of offensive catchers. And the defensive numbers really, really like him, which is seen by his, you know, being over a five war um in just 112 games played. So uh really special season for Adley. I really love some of the numbers here. Travis, he walks over Almost 14% of the time, 13.9. That's such a high figure for a rookie who just joins the league and all of a sudden has some of the best discipline, not only of all the rookies, but just of all hitters in general. So um, I love Adley. I, I love the numbers I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I completely understand the argument for Julio. It's really close for me. I know for most of America, it's not really close. They, they, like, <laughs> they like Julio, yeah. and, and I get it. But yeah. I, I just think Adley... Um, I think he's 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 done so much more so much beyond impressive mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for me. He he he's been um and like I mentioned um if the Orioles would have made the playoffs and the Mariners have not made the playoffs then of course like I mentioned it would be a very interesting award to look at but Julio breaking that what 21 year curse or whatever playoff drought the longest playoff drought I think for an, a North American League sports team um if I'm not mistaken but uh, they, they were a team that needed a guy and, and now they have a they guy. They do. So. They do. And it's funny that the guy is literally 21 years old. And yeah. he's literally like their Ronald Acuna or their, um, you know, almost like Juan Soto, but, you know, a little, a lot more athletic than Juan Soto. But Julio was a special talent for them this year. I think he runs away easily with that rookie of the year. Um, I won't cover too much more. I For me, Jeremy Pena's first half earned him a top three in my list, Alex. I can respect that. He... Could have been the starting shortstop, most likely for that American League All-Star team. He was putting on a complete show. I mean, imagine telling him in spring training, you need to replace Carlos Correa, someone who is a MVP-type go-getter. And he puts together a first half that is unbelievable. Had, of course, a little bit of a slow second half. Um, him and you know, It's funny, him and Stephen Kwan, very different ball players. They're so, they could not be more different. That's and so point. Stephen Kwan is all about contact, all about... Um, you know, just kind of making that routine play. I feel like Pena is more about OPS, having a lot of home runs. I think next year, you know, he could be a guy that you could even make for a dark horse. I, I don't want to say MVP, but I think it honestly, he could have the potentials of being kind of a dark horse MVP guy, go getter. Um, especially with that Crawford box in Houston. So, yeah, I think that what Pena did was really special this year. I mean, I was a big fan. I had him in fantasy for a good chunk of the year. Um, I was just a little bit surprised looking at the season numbers as a whole. Yeah, yeah. The first half was amazing. Um, I was he was my you know rookie of the year pick for a lot of the season, um, but just end, ending up at a 102 WRC plus is pretty crazy. You know yeah. he really almost ended up with like league average numbers on base below 300, whereas Quan had 372. Quan not only a big contact guy but a big walk guy as yes. well, which I, which I like to see avoid strikeouts at a pretty crazy rate. But of course the pop edge goes to Pena, 22 homers. Quan only had six. Um, both could steal bags. Both played good defense at shortstop and in left field. Yep. Um, so yeah, both guys deserve tons of props, but I, I understand kind of picks mm-hmm. from both directions there. So um, we'll keep it rolling. Travis uh, national league rookie of the year. Would you like to go first? I would, yes. Uh, number three, I have the phenom O'Neill Cruz. What he was able to do in Pittsburgh for, what, 60 games or something like that was unbelievable, in my opinion. O'Neill Cruz, number three. Number two, I have Michael Harris, Atlanta Braves. What a breakout he has become this season as a rookie. Um, another credit to the Atlanta Braves uh, 
front office and their development and all that stuff. He has been incredible as center fielder. Number one, though, his teammate, Spencer Strider, Alex. Um, honestly, kind of surprised I did not put him on my starting five for my rotation. He has had some insane lights out numbers. His strikeout ratios are incredible. Um, he easily, I think, easily wins this NL Rookie of the Year. Even though Michael Harris is on him so closely, I think Strider has to win this award so so convincingly but that's my top three that's my number one who do you got for your roy for number three my pick is actually going to be brendan donovan of the st louis cardinals and our two and one are the same i have harris in at two Mm -hmm. spencer strider in at number one my rookie of the year for the national league spencer strider i couldn't agree more with what you said about the two I think both are great, but I think Strider for me is clearly above. I think that some of the numbers, Travis, um, it's I mean, on I mean, yeah. it's stuff you, stuff a rookie does not do, right? <laughs> it's stuff a rookie does not put up these kind of numbers. Yeah, um, he is almost at a five Fangraphs WAR. Um, he his strikeout numbers, Travis, over thirteen point eight one Ks per nine. Um, let me check the K percent right now. I'm sure it's I mean, off the 202 charts. strikeouts right now. And I think Garrett Cole had the most oh to see. He was my. like 249. I mean, I mean, for me, I'll give Holy. credit with Spencer. If he started the season in the rotation, he is the runaway for the Cy Young for the National League. It's, it's just incredible. He, yeah. If you could maintain these numbers, he had a 38 strikeout percentage. No starting pitcher was close to that. I think Otani's at 33, which was like one of the best in all of baseball. Mm -hmm. The FIP on Strider is 1.83, which is a big reason because of that amazing strikeout percentage. I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds since we agree so heavily. I'll just, (laughs) I'll just say this. I'm not, most of these awards, I know who they're going to pick. Yes. And I think they'll pick Strider. But I think there's been a lot of Harris love. Mm-hmm. And, and it, he deserves the love. But I think that um, people aren't giving enough credit to, I guess, what Strider has done right now. Um, Harris deserves props. But for me, it's not, not, it's not on the level of Strider. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, Donovan, overall, just a very, very good uh, season yep. and nothing mind-blowing but for a rookie i'll take a uh, almost a 13 walk percentage is awesome not much popped right home about but almost a 400 on base which is 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 more than you could ask for has that defensive versatility that's really going to help a team um and overall yeah i think that you know i'm not sure how high the upside is but in terms of just giving value to a team one of the great um you know, stories of this year amongst rookies, at least. So Mm -hmm. I will go ahead and move on, Travis. Manager of the year. These are going to be fun, honestly. I enjoyed making these ones because you can really not look at the record and just look at what is this team's stock started out game one to game 162. So I'm I'm excited to hear what you got for for yours. Yeah, There's so many ways to approach this, I think. And so I'll go ahead and say my American League. Okay. Number three, I go with Boone of the Yankees. Number two, I go with Francona of the Guardians. And number one, I have Cash from the Rays. Go ahead and give me your three. <laughs> bang, bang, bang? Absolutely not. Oh, go ahead. Give me <laughs> I thought you were going to say bang, bang, bang. No, I'm just laughing. Like I, 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 Could I be more I, different? I'm surprised, yeah. So number three, uh, Dusty Baker. Okay. For the Houston Astros, I see you smirk over there. I, I know we had a conversation, I think, about a month ago about uh, what we thought about Dusty Baker. Uh, number two, Scott Service. Okay. Number one, Terry Francona. Okay. Yeah. So, so obviously differences. Um, 
I'll explain my boon. I mean, so we both agree, Francona, what he did. I yes. mean, here's the thing, though. Like, I don't know. It's hard for me to say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Obviously, he's a veteran of the game. Yep. He has coached elite teams, elite players. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know exactly how much of responsibility of their great season goes to him. But the Guardians were way better and got way more wins than anyone thought that they could. Um, and it wasn't because of some breakout crazy star. It's because they played as a great team. Yep. So I get props to Francona for that. 74.5 uh, wins was their projection. Over so, under. Over under for and then, all, all casinos. And they had 92. So you're looking at 2018 20, 20, wins above what their expected amount. And of course, I believe they were eas- definitely third or fourth place predicted to finish in the American League Central overcame all that won the division so so big props to him yep. he had to be in the list somewhere um boone makes my list just because i think that the yankees uh the first half was so good and then they kind of slipped and then judge got in this race and he almost didn't get to 62 yep. it almost kind of i think people think less of the yankees now than they did in the first half obviously right but i think the yankees um not sure what the over-under is and where they ended up, mm-hmm. but I think that just based on what people were saying before the season, most teams, I think, most people didn't, I think, have the Yankees as the second-best record in baseball, I think, or sorry, in American League. Um, I think most people didn't um, have, you know, if you show them this lineup um, as how good they were clicking, I think that a team that's so balanced with great pitching, starting and bullpen, and great bats, um, a big credit to Boone, and it, the, the award is for this season. But I think he really has done a good job um, making adjustments throughout the years as the roster has kind of changed. As guys have gone up and down, he you know moves them around as a way I really like. One last note: I think he started batting Judge leadoff in some games in certain matchups, and I think it's a really interesting approach. And I actually really have a lot of respect for it. I'm not sure if I would do it too, um, but I just think that. Um, there's a creativity there, and there's very clear thought into what he's doing. He's not going to just do what the average manager might think, the old school manager might think. Mm-hmm. He kind of looks at um, some other factors and says, I want to get this guy more ABs, or I want to put this, maybe this guy's going to get walked a ton because no one wants to pitch to him. I'll put him first. That way, the meat of my order just has a guy on first base for them already. So mm-hmm. there's obviously good thought going into his game plan, which I like. Um and then my pick for cash is number one. The only only real reason for it, Travis, is I just know the players in the Rays. I see the lineups. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, man. Yeah. I yeah. cannot believe. I can't name their lineup right now. We follow baseball very closely, and I see a guy on their roster every day that I'm like, I don't know who that is. And they've had injuries to some of their best players from last season. Kiermaier, injury. Franco, Missed tons of time. Zunino missed like almost a whole year. Some of their best performers from last year Starting pitcher just get came hurt. Back, um, Glass now has been yeah. hurt the whole time. Baz has been hurt the whole season. It's just crazy how it's next man up and uh, Cash finds a way. Obviously, it's not all him. I think their front office, their analytics side, they know stuff that the rest of the league doesn't know, right? They know how to utilize relief. Travis, every season of the race, there's three relievers, three new guys that I've never heard of become amazing. If they target a reliever in a trade, don't give it to him because he's going to become really good. Um, they're just they're just too locked in yeah. um, to how to win baseball games. 
Uh, it doesn't really matter who's on their team. I feel like they're just going to win anyways, mm-hmm. um, at least make the playoffs. So uh, he, he just knows how to use these strategies um, that I guess other teams just don't understand. And it's not all him. And like I said, it's, it's the team. But I think he deserves more credit. So yeah, and, go, and go ahead and break down your three, two. I agree with you with the Rays. I do not know who they run out, but they win ball games and they're above 500. That's one thing I'll agree with you. One thing I will say is, and one thing I'll criticize Cash for is, if he was playing in any other seasons beside this season, the Rays would not be a playoff team. They are the sixth seed. The sixth seed just got introduced this season. That's my only take on the Rays. They have uh, dropped when it comes to stock, rightfully so. Players I don't even know about are playing right now for them. Wander Franco did not play a lot of games. Um, it was a team of Randy Rosarena and Harold Ramirez. So it's kind of a lot of guys that I cannot even tell you. He's very crafty with what he does. And also, but, also add the mm-hmm. AL East is a beast this yeah, year. Yeah. And Frank Cohen deserves all the credit in the world. But the Central was an easier task of if course. you want to compare those two. Of course. No, I, I and I definitely agree with that. It was an easier task. Um, I think the big thing is, is the Rays went from 100 wins to 86 wins. But like I said, the lineups, the roster is a lot different from when it was last year. They went from a first place team to a third place team. Um, divisions have a big input on that. Who you run out there every single night has a big input on that. So, of course, I'm not going to harsh that down a little bit. I just think the Rays are a team that started out at a, you know, they could possibly get the four seed. They've kind of definitely gone down in the stock market of the major league rankings. And now they, of course, are the six seed going to the three seed. Um I don't I don't see how cash could become a manager of the year with going down to the sixth seed. Right. I think he was the manager of the year last year, if I'm not mistaken. I actually voted for him last year because 100 wins with that team last year and were the number one seed in um, the American League. Just I mean, kudos and so much just so impressive looking at that. But um, <clears throat> I will say for me, Boone going to the Boone pick. Alex Boone was my clear runaway American League manager of the year until the end of July. I think I just cannot look at what he did in what the team did in August and in September and say he is my clear cut manager of the year. He deserves it. They were on a runaway with most like I think there were some um some predictions looking at the Yankees finishing 118 wins. I mean they were literally looking Yeah, those at, people were jumping the gun. But yeah. They were jumping the gun, but it definitely was looked at as the Yankees should win 105 games this year. They didn't even win 100 games. They won 99. Um that's the reason the reason I don't have Boone in my um in my top 3. Toronto's manager, honestly, it was Montoya. I can't even tell you who it is now. I I just know that he's done a decent job. Toronto in my opinion has done a good enough job finishing uh, second place in that East is really impressive. I know a lot of teams thought they were going to win the division, but they did not. So I definitely think that kind of changing manager, you know, middle of year is kind of a, it's, it's an interesting way, but I always knew Toronto was a good team all season long. So I think that they kind of finished right where they're supposed to be at. Um, Dusty finishing third for me basically just says that they won 106 games and that's the most that Dusty's ever won in his career with this team that I think everyone kind of thought was regressing but they still had an amazing season. So that's why he finished third service for me, finished second, getting Seattle to the playoffs the first time in 21 years. It's a little bit part of the narrative. I will say just because it's a great story that Seattle has been a part of this year. And of course, I think they won 91 games or so last year, but back to back 90, 91 seasons, of course, is very impressive. I don't of course want to look back at last season, but getting Seattle to the playoffs 
in my opinion, very, very impressive as a top five in the American League. Um, I think just Frank Kona, in my opinion, has to win this just because what the Guardians started out at at game one to where they are now is just a complete revolution from what all of us thought they would be this season. We thought, okay, I have heard of nobody on this roster except for Jose Ramirez, maybe a couple other guys, a a couple starting pitchers. But other than that, what are we going to get from this Guardians team? The White Sox are going to run away with this division. They had an 11-game lead on the White Sox to win the American League Central and to capture the three seed. I think that's very impressive. I give Terry Francona my uh, props for manager of the year. That's just kind of how I see things going. I think Boone lost the traction in the second half, and I think Cash finishing sixth is kind of a... It's so impressive from the roster he has. That's the only point I look at with you finishing first with cash that I will give you. But finishing sixth is kind of a it, it's kind of a consolation prize. And, and I'll say this: cash will not win. And I don't. That's not what I care about. I care about who I would pick and who I think has done. Uh, you know, it's almost like who would I want to manage my team? Yeah. You know, I pick yeah. coaches that I yeah. think. Who do you think um, will win? Let me ask you that. I feel like Francona. Okay. I, th- I think Francona or Service. I think Service could, would get a lot of praise. Yeah, I think Francona, the Guardian season has been so unexpected. Yep. And then he's also a familiar face, a familiar name mm-hmm. that uh, is had legendary years with the Red Sox that people remember fondly. Yep. May give him more props this season as well, and deservedly yes. so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Baker, you know, I'm not going to get into Baker right now. Uh, into deep, <laughs> but I'll just say that like the Astros team is really, really, really good. Yeah. I don't like a lot of his lineup choices, and it doesn't even matter. They just win games yeah. like it's nobody's business. They are the premier team of the American mm-hmm. League. Um, and I don't think it's because of Baker. I think that, you know, but he still, I think, obviously has the respect of the dugout and is still, yeah. you know, a legend of the game. So yeah. Yeah. let's keep moving. National League, Travis. Uh, I'll just keep going first. Okay. I like this flow we're on. I'll go three, two, one. Okay. Number three, National League Manager of the Year. I go Buck Showalter. Number two, I go Rob Thompson. I think a name that you and I did not know before mm-hmm. this season. <laughs> yes. And then number one, I go Dave Roberts. Okay. Give me okay. your three. Number three, I go Oliver Marmol. Got the it. youngest manager in baseball history for the St. Louis Cardinals. Our Pujols, Alex, is older than that man. <laughs> six years older than that man. He just turned 36 this season. He was 35 starting the season um, out. Imagine someone making a lineup card for you and he's younger than you. He's like, hey, uh, kid, why don't you uh, bet me fourth? Yeah. Uh, no, Pops, get, up, get, get back in the nine spot. Uh, <laughs> Sit down, Gramps. Um, but Oliver Marmol, what he did in his first year, Yes, of course, the division was kind of a toss-up between them and the Brewers, but winning 93 games and kind of the role they've been on, beating some very good teams this year. I think they swept the Yankees at Bush. Um, just very impressive series, I think, all year the Cardinals have been on. So Oliver Marmol, number two, Rob Thompson. Um, Alex, the Phillies were the Titanic sinking when Girardi got fired. He somehow lifted this ship up and got them afloat, and now they're literally playing St. Louis in a wild card weekend starting Friday. So, of course, he's got to finish number two. Number one, we agree. Dave Roberts, how can you not give a guy who wins 111 wins um, in a season the manager of the year, especially, Alex, when you kind of take a deeper dive? I know the Dodgers are a good team, but we've talked to this so many times. I think every episode we bring up the Dodgers, this roster, 
what is this roster doing winning 111 games they have they have some superstars but it's Tyler like, Anderson it's like every Andrew Heaney they're getting I mean, they're getting so much out of every guy on the roster yeah. everybody overperforms in a way that tells me you're not they're not overperforming because they're lucky with the Dodgers yes they're overperforming because the Dodgers know how to use them best and of course it is Dave Roberts not just Dave Roberts isn't doing all the research himself but he's a big part of what they got going on in LA I think both both my uh, both my Boone and Roberts picks. It's funny. I think the fans of those teams hate their coaches. I think that's almost every team. <laughs> yeah, like very few teams absolutely love their coach. But I think that um, you hit the nail on the head. 111 wins uh, for I think Roberts. It's you hit the nail in the coffin, right? Now, that's what you say sometimes. But uh, I'm, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start calling you out for that. But <laughs> but I think I think Dave Roberts, um, what what he's been able to do um to get the most out of these players and even when guys aren't performing like bellinger a down year uh uh who is it uh chris taylor down from last year worst numbers from last year muncie down numbers from last year it doesn't matter they find ways to pick up the slack they start using guys in new situations um i'm gonna say he creates really good lineups that i like but to be honest it's kind of hard to make a bad lineup when you have I mean, you have Tr- Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. Like, okay, bat them in the top three in some mm-hmm. order, and it's gonna mm-hmm. work. But, um, but yeah, I think honestly, there's just so much to like yep. um, about the Dodgers, and I think they wouldn't be the t- they wouldn't be the same team if they had a manager that was trying to. Um, I'll say this: I, I I have so much respect for a manager who's gonna go with the direction of the team. I think if 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 a if a more kind of stubborn manager mm-hmm. who wanted to do things his way was running the Dodgers, I think that they'd be a worse team. I think if a if a coach really was, um, you know, oh, this is my guy for this inning and I want this guy seven, eight, nine, and blah, 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 and this reliever or this pinch hitter, um, I think that Roberts is very flexible. I think he, uh, as far as I can tell, I think he does a good job listening to the front office at the right times. And the Dodgers are just such a well-oiled machine. You got to respect it every yeah. year, injuries, um, it doesn't phase them. It never yep. phases them. Yep. So. And capturing an NL record for wins in this total season um, has to earn you manager of the year, especially when you're outperforming your competition by this much. Um, a I, complete runaway. I, I think that this has to warrant you a manager of the year, not and, and rightfully so, especially like I mentioned, they have superstars, but they also have guys that I just feel like we came into the season saying, I, I don't know what you're going to get from this guy. Like Tyler Anderson last year, he was he was cute with the Mariners, but he wasn't anything uh, special. And then Andrew Heaney, um, we've seen him so we know Andrew Heaney better than any Major League Baseball fan out there with the Angels. But he was not good, particularly good with the New York Yankees last year. Gave up a lot of home runs. We thought going to the Dodgers, but the thing is, I will I will cut off to this. The thing is, the Dodgers know how to fix people. So that's one thing I am certain they can definitely get someone who is maybe not right in their self and they can turn them into an all-star turn them into a, you know, top three in the rotation kind of guy, or of course an all-star on the offensive uh, standpoint as well. So um, I think we can agree on that part as well. And I'll just throw out my last thing on Buck Showalter since I, I have him third and I didn't mention him at all. Um, I think if I told you, Travis, Max Scherzer will only get to 145 innings pitched. Jacob DeGrom will only get the 64 innings pitched. Your big 
scary two-headed monster, one of the best two-headed monsters we've seen in our life. They're going to not even combine for 200, let alone get, or they're going to combine for 200 essentially. Yeah. Almost exactly. I think one night, <laughs> I think, I think it's, I think it's 199. Worse correcting yourself. I think yeah. it's, I think it's, oh no, sorry. It's a little, yeah, it's over. It's over. But anyways, I mean, these two guys, this two-headed monster, the deadly, deadly duo, they're, they're, they're not even, they're pretty much injured, you know, combined yeah. for almost the whole season. Um, if I told you that, and they're still going to win 101 games, I think you'd be really shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, before the season started, I think some people said, are the Mets going to be legit? Uh, maybe they can win the division. Maybe they won't. But if I told you that those guys are missing that many games and they would still put up an impressive 101 wins, I think you'd be pretty impressed mm-hmm. with them. So mm-hmm. I give Buck Showalter the credit for that. Um, I don't know how much I love his game management and some of the other stuff, but obviously something went very right for them this year. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even the superstar pitching. It was everything else going right, mm-hmm. uh, going their way. So props to him. Props to the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. I will, I will say uh, what what we saw when they hired him, I know me and you were kind of skeptical. We kind of thought, oh, you know, I don't think the Mets are really going the right direction with this guy. But 101 wins is is is, is exceeding the goal. You know, right. no one thought the Mets would win 100 plus games this season, especially in this good of a division where you had Juan Soto in Washington. You had a young but star-studded Miami crew. Phillies who make can make a lot of noise. And of course, the reigning World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. Um, it was going to be a very tough division, the NL East. And the Mets, of course, uh, you know, at least for the first uh first couple of months, they were owning that division, no problem. But of course, they of course slipped up barely. We'll of course play the wild card uh this weekend. And Alex, that kind of transitions me. We've talked a lot about our awards, our all MLB teams, all that stuff. Let's kind of get this last part of the episode in, and that's going to be, of course, our predictions for this weekend. Um, I'll kind of name off the series that we're looking at. You give me yours. I'll give you mine, how we kind of can see this going. And then, of course, maybe we can hit the hay tonight. Uh, We're almost running at midnight right now. Uh, Playoffs start in about 32 hours or so. So, uh, listeners, you'll probably be listening to this on Friday morning or so. But um, let's start with the Cleveland Guardians, the number three seed hosting the number six seed Tampa Bay Rays for context it's a three-game series in Cleveland the winner of this series will go on to play the New York Yankees two in New York two at the opposing team's home field and then of course the last game five of it goes type games in New York who do you have Guardians Rays in that series okay I don't have that much I I'm not really with what I don't know how to put this. I, I I don't I don't love the game planning of the mm-hmm. Guardians in terms of it's a very contact heavy team. I don't think that's an amazing game plan. I think that it's kind of proven mathematically that power is the way to go. That being said, I feel like the Guardians have something special, mm-hmm. something weird going on. Something is going to work right for them. Yep. I I'm going to go Guardians. I think that their pitching and their defense is really good. The contact's good enough. Um, if J Ram can be right, if if he can, if I, I I'm not sure. I think he's been hurt. Um, you know, sometimes there's lingering injuries that like, they don't really talk about that much, but if he can be a superstar, um, he can carry this team, I think through a really Mm -hmm. impressive run. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and say guardians. Okay. Okay. I actually will agree with you, Alex. I think guardians in three, I think that this will not be a sweep for either team. I think both teams will have a hard fought series 
it's a tough series to look at, but I think Guardians have just enough magic going away. There's this season. They have a good run. I think Rays, we saw them in 2020, lost in the World Series. Last year, they lost in the first round American League Division Series to the Red Sox. I think it was in four games. I think that their stock is kind of just dropping slowly as the seasons go. Still a really good team, but I think I have a little more faith in the Guardians. They should be playing the New York Yankees in the American League Division Series. So I have Guardians in three. Um, next and last American League series that we're looking at for the wild card. Number four, Toronto Blue Jays hosting number five, Seattle Mariners. The winner, of course, will go on to play the number one seed, Houston Astros. Who do you see in that wild card series right now, at least with your gut feeling? I'm going to make you answer first because I want to hear what you have to say. I'm saying Seattle. I knew you would. <laughs> I'm saying Seattle and... I'm saying they're sweeping. Yeah. I think Seattle in two. I, I don't I don't know. I commented on a buddy's Instagram post and I said Toronto in two. I think I think Seattle in two is I think I think they're just riding again some special wave. Um fans don't don't listeners don't don't back me if I, they don't win in two, but I think Seattle wins the series. So I I don't like predicting the game number. Okay. I think you know that. Yeah. I, I yeah. just um, it, I mean, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray. I'll just say this. I mean, Castillo is one of the top guys I'd like to have on my team in, in a short series like mm -hmm. that. But, um, I just think that there's this whole like happy feeling about the Mariners because they making the playoffs and it's super exciting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's this momentum to be like, Oh, Mariners. But, um, if I look at the teams and I look at how they stack up, um, I think that based on the production this season, I think Gosman's the best pitcher in the series. And if I look at um, better lineup, I like the lineup for Toronto better. Mm -hmm. um, bullpen, actually, Mariners have had a good good bullpen all year, but um, they're going to need to, you know, I mean, I think I think there's there's completely a world where Castillo and Ray dominate. Yeah. Um, that could easily happen, and the bullpen just wipes it up. Um, like you said, it could happen in two for Seattle. I just think that there's this whole narrative push for Seattle. And I just feel like, I don't know if that's really based on how good the teams are. It's more based on like the happy feeling we have that Mariners yeah. cracked the playoffs finally. So props to them, but I'm going to pick Toronto. Um, home field advantage might help, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe traveling to Canada. I don't know if that's going to have some sort of effect. Maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> certain players get left behind <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, well I, actually i'm not 100 percent. what i heard was that that canada was going to remove the vaccine requirement uh by the time the playoff started i don't know if that happened or not i'm oh, not up to date oh, but geez. but wow. if I'm, I'm saying that like they will yeah. allow everyone yeah. yeah so like um that might not be a factor like it was during the regular season but either way um i like toronto i think that they might not get as much love as they deserve because people kind of are picking them to like win the AL mm -hmm. uh, best record, all that kind of stuff. And they didn't perform like that, but they still have a really good team yeah. and they have some good defenders and stuff. And, and, and they, they played, they played the Yankees pretty strong a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. So I think they're a really good team. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go Toronto. Toronto on that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I will say one thing, um, you know, like we mentioned every year playoffs is a different animal. Um, one thing that's funny is looking at last year, we had Gosman on the giants was a great pitcher last year just struggled of course against a Dodgers lineup in that division series so that's one thing I like to always point to is that certain pitchers might do very well 
in the season and then of course get to the postseason and it's just a different animal so uh i for me i like i like to see i think luis luis castillo can dominate in a playoff series and i think that the, having um having castillo having robbie ray and having logan gilbert whoever you want to add after logan gilbert i think that could be a very special one two three punch but i think seattle they have just been riding this wave that they can get this series done and i guess for me for predictions i think they can win in two but um i have seattle win that series that covers the american league alex so apparently right now we're looking at uh we both agree cleveland yankees division series and then right now i have seattle and houston in the division series and you have toronto and houston both series would be really fun with Houston because it'd be an ALS matchup. And then, of course, last year we were talking about Houston and Toronto, just the last two exciting teams in 2021. I mentioned it before. Toronto, I think, was one of the craziest teams if you would have played them last year at the end of the season. They were so good. What they did to the Baltimore Orioles last last year in the, in the series, I feel like I remember this so well, they just dismantled this team. I think the run differential was like 35 to like six or something like that they literally scored 10 runs every single game but i digress a little bit but i think of course that'll be a fun series in the division series but moving on to the national league we'll start with the number four new york mets hosting at city field the number five san diego padres the winner will of course advance the division series to play the number one seed la dodgers who do you have in the mets and the padres series yeah, I have to go with Mets. Okay. I, I think I would like to pick the Padres. I like the Padres narrative. I you, think. You, wait, you Darvish? He's he's uh he's, he's not the X factor. He's he's definitely a huge contributor, um, and could dominate a game for sure in a in a wild card series. But, um, I guess where I'm at is I I love the idea of the Padres doing like what the Braves did. Like the Braves were missing Acuna and they still won, and now the Padres are missing Tatis. It'd be fun if they still won. Yeah. But I just think the depth is a bit lacking for the Padres. Um, they did great to add talent at the deadline to make sure they could still make their way to the postseason. They've, you know, first time they're making the postseason in a full season in a, quite a long time. Of course, the 2020, they made it, and yep. they got... Um, 2006. They got walloped by the... Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and 2006, they got, last time Padres, yeah. They did get walloped by the Dodgers in the short 2020 uh, playoff series. Um, I, I my thought, My thought is this, the Mets even though DeGrom and Scherzer did not look absolutely dominant in uh, Atlanta, I still think that they're probably the best one-two punch if you had to pick any playoff team and their best one-two pitchers for a series. Who are you going to pick? I think most people would pick the Mets. Um, and then I think the bats for the Mets are good. I mean, I don't know if it's, they're as reliable as some other teams, but I think the bats are probably better than the Padres' bats. Yeah. Um, you know, Lindor and Alonso have had great years. Um, the depth of the thing has been really good. I'm not exactly sure what, what, what lineup they're going to run out there, but you know, Nimmo is underrated. I've always been a Nimmo guy. Um, the on base is always great, and he runs bags well. Um, I think there's a lot to like about the Mets. Um, I I think I'm higher on the Mets than most because most people are kind of bummed out they didn't yeah. make what they're supposed to make, and they had the division locked up, and they they threw it away. They still won 101 games, missing tons of games from their aces, like I mentioned earlier. So, I think the Mets are an elite squad. I'll pick the Mets. Yeah, I'm 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 100 agreeance with you. I think the Mets will win this series, Alex. I think the Mets are a, uh, I think they're a sleeping giant that is ready to be awoken. I think that they have a 
fire in them that is upset they did not win the division they kind of choked it they've been playing playoff baseball for the past two weeks or so um i think the mets could be a team that could be honestly a seriously dangerous run this postseason so i think the mets win this series against the padres padres have just been kind of lingering all year um they have a good rotation but i don't think they have a good enough rotation just like the mets especially on paper Degrom, Scherzer, Bassett, that's pretty deadly. And then, of course, Diaz to close out some of those games. And it's at City Field. New York has a great lineup and a great offense. So I like the Mets to win this series um, and move on to play the Dodgers, which which feels really weird, the Dodgers and the Mets playing in the division series because of how dominant uh, the Mets have been this year. It's funny that the Dodgers will have to play another great team in the, div- the division series, much like they did last year where they played, what, the 107-win Giants. So yep. really funny, the Dodgers, back-to-back years in the division series, will have to play a very tough opponent. But um, that's, of course, me moving on and thinking the Mets are going to win the division. Or Padres w- will probably just the screw us both over. And uh, But that does, of, of course, create a lot of, I think, I think L.A. Dodger fans become very scared if the Padres move on. I think that they, if they lost... A series like that, which we'll get into next week once the series once the series is over. If the Padres move on, Dodger fans, I feel like have a lot of oh crap! It, if we lose this series, it, it's just because it's a five game series. Yep, anything can happen in that short of a time span. We might have to get tickets. I mean, <laughs> might have to go. <laughs> we might have to go to San Diego. I mean, yeah, Petco. Yeah, but but yeah. but but my thought is this, Travis. No matter you know how good a team is you can lose three of five easily and uh the pressure of losing the little brother i think is really big easily Travis, i'm a lakers fan and when they play the clippers those are the games i want to win the most yes yeah you don't want to lose to the guys who you have always been better than but they can nip at your heels you know yes. and you just don't want to give them that satisfaction so yeah um the, the dodgers might be a little bit tight about it i know the padres they're probably kind of playing with house money, you know. At the same time, the Dodgers are a much better team. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, if we get to that point, that'll be a really fun conversation, and I would be down to go cruise Petco. But we <laughs> will be, talk. We'll talk about that if that happens. It though. would be fun. It would be fun. Um. Moving on to the last series before the uh this long episode, of course, has come to an end. But the last series, Alex, is going to be number three seed St. Louis Cardinals hosting at Bush the number six seed Philadelphia Phillies. The winner will go on to play the number two seed Atlanta Braves in Atlanta for best of five. Alex, I'll tell you this right now. I think Phillies win this series. I think Wheeler and Nola are set up for this series. Um, You're reading my mind. um, (laughs) I was thinking about it today and I was thinking about this episode and I figured for me, this series is the hardest for me to predict because you look at so many of the intangibles, the Cardinals being home all three games. They have the Albert Pujols wave riding. They have the NL MVP wave riding. They have so many things going their way. I just don't see how they can definitely win two out of three against Wheeler and against Nola. Alex, I think these two guys are built for a three-game wildcard series. I'm picking the Phillies to win this series and move on to the division series. Um it's kind of a shocker, but you know what? I think we need one big upset in this playoffs, and it's bound to happen in St. Louis. I think the Phillies take it to the Cardinals. I don't know how many games. I know I've been giving you kind of how many games will will, will be decided, but I think Phillies are built for this Nola Wheeler two-headed monster to take on. You just need two wins, and they got two wins right there staring at them. So I think they can get it done. I, I like exactly how you frame that, and I will double down. First of all, I agree. 
I'm picking the Phillies. Um, and I think the same way that Phillies are really built for this series, yep. I think the Cardinals are not. I think the Cardinals are deep and they have the yeah, like they have the depth and position players and in pitching and I just don't think they have the front line like honestly, Travis. Jordan Montgomery. That's who, going game one. Who do they go? Montgomery and who? Miles it, it, Mikolos. It it, it 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 should be Montgomery and Quintana. Yeah. Is who it should yeah, you're be. right. You're right. You're but, right. But but yeah. Two I, lefties. <laughs> are they gonna start Quintana over Wainwright? Like how much pressure of Wainwright being the franchise legend will factor in to the coach's decision yeah, of who's yeah. gonna start these games? I think what happens is Michael Michaelis deserves a spot because I mean the three point two nine ERA is very solid, but it's still yes. not like yeah. he's not in, he's not by any means in, in this he's not by any means on the Wheeler and Nola level um from this season. Uh also like Quintana is someone who was a great pickup by them, but um, if he's, I mean, and he's been phenomenal for them, but is he really the guy who you're like, oh, this is the guy we're going to start a miss, must win game? What if they lose game one? It's like, oh, yeah, we're going Quintana game two. Yeah. It's like, how much confidence would you have, um, you know, him going up against yeah. a Phillies lineup? You know, I think that one guy said actually that they said would they put Wainwright in the bullpen because that's how he started out. And in 2006, he was like their closer, and they thought it would just be like a cycle. And and to me, I thought that was just sad. So you know, <laughs> well, what what Charles? What I will say is that's it's funny that a fan like is trying to think about it like that. But what I will say is this: I think that um, I'm really excited to see how coaches handle the pitching situations because if you lose game one. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. and, and so, and so, game two, you start the best man for the job. If you're tied in the sixth inning, you're gonna put in probably your third starter. You know, like, yeah. like yeah. that's gonna happen. Like, we're yeah. gonna see these kind of situations yeah. where, you know, I wonder honestly if somehow Degrom loses game one, Scherzer gets kind of lit up for four innings. Do they go Bassett? Like, I mean, I don't know what they're gonna do. You know, so I'm excited to see how teams maneuver this. Like, first I think, time ever. Yeah, and, and I think a team like the Dodgers, who we just know about. That they know how to manage games, I trust those teams more in a short series like this because they're going to make these interesting, tough decisions. Of course, there's so much randomness in the three-game series, like a wild card series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited to see how coaches handle this. I do not know how the Cardinals are going to pick the pitchers that they're going to start these games with. Yes, um, it almost might be by, by committee. Maybe, maybe game two, you have like a Quintana, Michaelis, like, um, like three innings, three innings, and like, or one time through the order, second time through the order, you switch and you get the lefty-righty thing going. I I, I don't know. Helsey gets two. <laughs> you know, Helsey gets I mean, Helsie gets eight and nine for all, every game in the series. I'm not sure, but I mean, they have a they have some names in the bullpen that yes. are I, I can trust, but um, I think there's just so much uncertainty with who's going to start these games. And it, it, it will be the most exciting, I think, playoff that we've seen in a long time because there's going to be so much strategy. Like you mentioned, if the Grom loses game one, they go Scherzer game two. What if the Mets win game one? And then you look at it as, okay, would we go Bassett game two and keep Scherzer for game three? But do you want to just shove it down their throat and get the series over with it? I, 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 there's so much strategy. I think that you can definitely look at in in this and and that's the beauty of it it's going to come down to the smaller sample size where the whole season was a marathon now we get down to the sprint and 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 like i said cardinals i think are built for the regular season in terms of they have the depth um but i don't know about 
a three-game series of who they're going to ride with. I will say over the course of the whole playoffs, the Cardinals get through this series. I like them a lot more yes. yeah. because they do have that depth. I think they're their four or five starters might be just as good as some other teams that have better pitching, but then um, the bullpen becomes more of a factor. The team's offense becomes more of a factor because they don't have time to start clicking or whatever might happen there. But I just think that the Cardinals um, have some, you know, some tough conversations to have with their starting pitching of who's going to go when. Uh, And yeah, I'm so stoked to see um, how coaches kind of handle this really tough series. I think the teams that do have the depth are more lucky to be favored over the course of the whole playoffs. Mm-hmm. Also, Travis, we mentioned when they announced the schedule for the playoffs months back, there's there's some there's some series where there's like there's like no games off. Yeah. There's like some series where it's like, oh, two games off out of all seven games. So it's like yeah. those kind of series are really gonna favor the teams with depth yeah. because you can't even go your ace until like game one and then game like five or maybe yeah. even six. Like yeah. we'll see how they how it lines up. But let me ask you this. Do you think this is the hardest World Series tournament in history. I guess I guess I'd ask this question: Is it the hardest for the three and the six seeds? Is it going to be the hardest World Series tournament because you go through hell in the first wild card weekend if things are just not going your way? Some teams may cruise, easy sweep, no problem. They're just cool and collective. Some teams have to really strategize. We might see some team um, down to the wire in game two have to come back, force a game three, and then you have to force that to uh to win maybe at, a, at an opponent's home ballpark and then of course you go into a higher seeds ballpark the next round do you think this could be the hardest world series um in the history so far i think it's definitely in that conversation i don't know um what might compare mm-hmm. i think just based on the fact that there's so many there's this extra round almost kind of and and i'm just trying to imagine the mets travis the mets are an amazing team i've been having up all episode if they go DeGrom and Scherzer and win those two games then they have to go to LA and games one and two in LA they have to go Bassett and I don't know who and that you're I mean Bassett can get the job done and you know who knows what could happen yeah. but it just feels like you're starting the next series Carrasco and Walker you're starting the next series at a deficit because you're missing your two best pitchers plus the other team is just waiting for you and you're at their home so yeah i agree that like the teams in the wild card race they're gonna have to go face a division winner after this series they have it tough for sure because the teams with the buys are just kind of waiting and resting and they'll have their best pitchers ready for the series whereas the wild card team yes they may have a little bit of momentum but they will have used at least two if not their three best pitchers and they have to jump into this new series immediately so let me counter that Mets win in two or three. I don't know. They go to LA. They have to throw Taiwan Walker and Carrasco. Does that put more pressure on the Dodgers that they need to win these first two home games or else they will go to City Field and face DeGrom and Scherzer? And then it's like, okay, we now have the toughest, toughest job in baseball history to face two Hall of Famers at a home ballpark i know home field does not matter in baseball but to me it's kind of like it could be countered as well because baseball we've seen so many teams just go into a ballpark and take it to the number one seed or the number two seed so in my opinion it's almost like it's a lot of pressure on one team but at the same time i feel like some of these wildcard teams like the phillies there's no pressure i mean you're literally not supposed to win this at all so it's kind of like let's go in there and show what we got and then you know maybe they go to the they, they, they like for, for instance they go to the phillies 
they take it to the, the the Cardinals. They go to Atlanta. They split in Atlanta. Then they go home. They have Nola and Wheeler for game three, game four, something like that. Or they have Wheeler for game five. I don't know. But it seems like there could honestly be a uh, even a disadvantage for some of the teams that maybe are waiting. You know, we've seen that I, so many times in history. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I agree with it to some extent. But I think at the same time, if the Dodgers win the games against Bassett and Carrasco yeah. in this hypothetical. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. they go back to, yes, you go back and you have to go face DeGrom and Scherzer in New York, but now you have to just win one more game. One and, 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 yeah. and you're just like, yeah. we're in the driver's seat. Yeah. And definitely DeGrom and Scherzer can only pitch one game in that series. Yes. Yeah. Whereas whoever goes game one for the Dodgers, I'm not sure how the days off work, but they might have a chance to pitch game five. So like you might Unless be, it's Kershaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, yeah. we don't know but yeah i yeah. I, I would um, yeah i think they would go urius game one yeah i, I would agree to urius would go game one but we can get into that another time once but, we get the series straightened but, out but next my week. only yeah. point being that like the dodgers or whatever team is the the buy team the mm-hmm. buy team might be able to use their ace in multiple games like the yankees the yankees might be able to save cole for game one and five mm-hmm. if possible mm-hmm. whereas the wildcard team will be able to do that but very true very true um, um alex i'll ask the last question the hardest question of the night who wins it all? Who wins the World Series? <laughs> I'll give you mine first if you want. Maybe I want to go first. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You got two seconds. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I always like picking the favorites because yeah. they have the best chance. Yeah, of course. Um, but this time I'll go outside the box. Um I usually would you pick the Astros. I always pick the Astros. <laughs> you know what? Well, you're not wrong because they make it to the freaking series they, every single year. So. Yeah, and I feel like them and the Dodgers have been on this crash course for so long. Yep. They met in 2017. 18, the Dodgers made it back. 19, the Astros made it back. 20, the Dodgers made it back. 21, the Astros <laughs> made it back. They're just due to meet again. Dodgers, Astros, World Series. But the spoiler is going to be... The Phillies, that's my pick. Wow. The Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies, I Bryce think, Harper. I think that they're just like... That's bold. There's going to be the, the the story that mm. um is almost like the Braves last year. I'm not sure who's going to get hot, but I just think that they have the talent. I think they have the pitching. I really like the top of the rotation. Um, It could almost be like a 2019 Nats with the Scherzer-Strasburg duo. I can see Nola and Wheeler doing something similar. Uh, I think the bats are definitely good enough. So, yeah, I'm just going to go with – I'm going to say that the defense figures it out for a couple weeks mm-hmm. and, and and they get the Schwerber, job done. Schwerber's been there. You know, it's funny is that, that half that team has not been there before, but half the team has been there before. So that's one thing that's interesting. Um, and it's interesting to say that sometimes when the expansion uh, playoffs happen, the lowest seed will sometimes win it all. We saw it last year. I mean, we didn't see it last year with the expansion, but uh, – Braves won it last year. They were the worst record team. I think Phillies, they have to be right. one of the worst record teams, if not the worst. I have to look at the records again. But I mean, there's um, always a, there's, there's always a shocker. Yeah. There's yeah. always a shocker. I mean, Ohio State, Buckeyes 2014, Bama, then Oregon. You're looking at yeah, you're looking at your screen like disappointment. But I had to bring that up, you know. Uh who's your pick, Travis? <clears throat> um who is going to win it all? I bet on him in Vegas, and I guess I'll just stick to it. Uh and this is, I mean, it's kind of a stupid pick, but I mean, it's whatever. But I mean, I think that, I think the Dodgers win it all. So I think the Dodgers. The team with the 20% chance to win by like most fan stuff. But there was an update, I think a couple nights ago where they did have the Dodgers, were, I think fourth, I think they had the Braves, the Astros and maybe the, maybe the Mets. 
Is this is this um, betting odds? I was Fangraphs. I know Starting oh, Nine was podcast was going over it, and they were saying uh, that right now the that here they here are the odd lines. But I think the Dodgers um, are geared up this year. Um, it kills me to say that. Um, and if I had to, of course, make a second vote, I would probably go with um, I'd probably go with Houston. I think Dusty's going to get his first, if not the Dodgers not win. But I mean, I can't really make two. So, yeah, I mean, I think the I mean, Astros and the Dodgers yeah. are both good picks. It looks like what the, are the odds are for the if they both like don't meet. Like it's probably still pretty high because I mean you're looking at a lot of other teams and a lot of other things can happen. But you know, Astros are sitting at according to this is Fangraphs odds seventeen point nine percent chance to win. So yeah. that's pretty good for you. The Dodgers are at a fourteen point nine. So yeah, the Dodgers are below the Braves and the Astros. Hundred bucks right now I already put on the Dodgers to win the World Series a couple about a month, one month ago. So kind of had to stick with my pick. So I think it's a good pick. I think that the best team in the regular season, um, it's for a reason. But I will say, Alex, I mean the playoffs this year is kind of designed where the one seed, I will say, at times does get screwed. Playing the four and the five is tough. Whereas if you are the two seed and you play the two or or the sorry the last division winner, which historically is always a weak team, because the four, if not the five, is usually I better. I know what you than mean. The three seed. Sometimes I get that where they kind of were talking about the playoff structure. Like, should the number one seed be able to choose who they play? I I, I like that because yeah. I I really hope that becomes a thing in the future because yeah. wild card one is often better. Like wild card team one is often better or as at least as good as division winner three. Yeah. Usually there's a weak division winner. Um, Imagine last year. I mean, like last year, Giants had to play the wild card winner, which is the 106 win Dodgers. I mean, so. And, and the Braves were this 88 win yeah. team. Of course, they're yeah. going to win it yeah. anyways. Imagine yeah. some, but that's a funny thing. Some team would have picked the Braves. I want to yeah. play them yeah. and they would have yeah. lost. But I mean, I mean, looking at the Brewers last year too, they had a great pitching staff. And, but, you know, but it's just funny how I, I've always been on the mindset too, whereas, you know what? Who cares who you play? Just beat them. But I mean, there's also strategy involved where you have to look at that. I think the one seed at times, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think that the Mets easily could knock off Dodgers. No problem about it. But I think also the Padres could stun them. Um, and then, of course, you look at what happens after that. The the, the Braves might literally get a uh, limping Phillies team that does not have Wheeler or Nola for the first two or three games. And the Braves might just easily take two in Atlanta go to um go to philly and have to face either another starter besides nola or wheeler or they'll probably have to throw nola or wheeler in a game three elimination game to kind of extend their season but they could easily take it to a tired nola or wheeler then you got the braves just coasting into the nlcs and you know facing a dodgers team might have to go through Degrom and scherzer but again we speculate all we want um that'll happen in next week's episode after this weekend but I mean, again, this postseason, there's just so much strategy involved that it just makes it makes it so exciting where it's like this weekend. It was all about college football, NFL. But I mean, imagine on Sunday, if there's like three or four elimination games going. And that's just oh, gonna yeah. be that, that. I mean, you're literally going to have to have red zone and your computer juiced up. How, I mean, Terrace, how am I going to keep track of all the sports <laughs> NBA preseason two? I got the Lakers up oh, as well. Don't turn that crap on. No, no, hey, no, no they're no, in no, Vegas. No, no, they're playing. No, no, no. Well, well no, you can forget that for the first weekend, but yeah. Okay. This so, is going to be exciting. Travis, let us be done with this. Let us be done with this episode. It has been a long time. I'm not sure exactly how long, but it's oh, definitely over three hours. <laughs> um, probably closer to three and a half, four. Um, but anyways, listeners, 
if you made it this far. I doubt there's any of you left listening, but if you did make it this far, we appreciate your support so much. Uh, please, 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 uh, you know, look out for our episode next week. We are going to be covering the first round and how it went. And I think record on what Sunday or Monday night. Yeah. So division series starts on Tuesday. So we'll probably get that out to them by Tuesday morning. Yeah. And, and yeah, I should be able to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to edit this right after work tomorrow so I can go ahead and get it to people. Hopefully, you know, either Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh, Terrace, I'm down to record Sunday, honestly, get a live yeah. reaction to whatever elimination games happen. So easy money, right? Yeah. Um, that sounds fun to me. Let's be done. Let's be done with this. If you made it this far, we appreciate you. Love you so much. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>